And we're back, the Duran Show, episode number thirteen. Matt Mitchell, how are you guys doing? doing we're doing very well. And uh, Myers, welcome back. It's been—I was going to say it's been a long time, but it's been like all the time. <laughs> it's been—it's <laughs> been quite a quite a second since you've been on the show. Been like nine or, episodes. Yeah, no, it has been. I think I was probably ten episodes or so. So, good to have you back. Uh, there is a reason. A method of the madness we're going to do a, a pretty fun recap we all just got to play in a an event over in north carolina um four of us plus one other person brother-in-law from the from the area so we had quite the the hammond contingency out there so this is the uh, escalation event that we were talking about in our last episode uh the event was called ambush at or ambush at the dry falls right so um Really good time. I, we went through in detail about all the the structure of the event, how the escalation worked, round in, round out. So I think we'll we'll leave it there. Um, Myers, the one thing that we I guess we don't have is what army you were playing for the for the day. Do you want to give us a quick recap of uh, what you brought to the event? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, shout out to Matthew too because uh, I happen to be out at a work event, a little camping trip. So he is able to supply me with some Warriors of Erebor. But um, my hero that I brought was Thror. So the two factions that I was pairing up together was the Dwarves of Erebor and then Iron Hills. Um, so just like a quick overview, I'll give you like my max 800 point or the final list. We had Thror with 14 Guardians of the King. And then I had Thrain with 12 Warriors of Erebor with Spear and Shield. And then I had Dane Ironfoot on a Wild Boar. Or not a Wild Boar, this is Boar. With uh, 12 Iron Hills Warriors with Spears and Shields. Most excellent, most excellent. Very cool. Yeah. Powerhouse. So. My favorite army combination in the game. Yes, it is fun. It's, and the, the best part about it is you don't, which was nice for me. Uh, you don't really have to know everything. You just have to roll the dice. And then Dane Ironfoot and Thrain will do all the work for you. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but Dane will win. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Dane just killed half your army. <laughs> I, a bunch of dice. I didn't get a lot of sixes. I mean, I just keep rolling more dice, right? Okay, cool. Good, good, good. Yes, yes. Hey, nice to meet you. I've got the Iron Hills. Good game. It, it, it feels like uh, Dan, uh, the the Hobbit Dan, feels like the Dan from the War of the Ring, where he had Rampage, uh, epic uh, Rampage, where every time he wounds, he just keeps wounding until he doesn't wound. <laughs> That's oh, what he yeah. feels like. <laughs> yes. I know. Every time I set up, I'd be like, hey, how are you doing? I'd play, who are you playing with? Iron Hill. Oh. They'd be like, all right. <laughs> oh. It's a good start. <laughs> yeah. When, you're, when your opponent's already banging their heads. <laughs> Talk, hell. Yeah. Yeah. Not again. So, I figure, guys, unless there's an objection, we kind of use the same format as our last tournament recap. Uh, we can kind of go round robin, person by person, rounds one through four. Uh, but maybe before we get started, a quick uh, quick overview of the event. Super fun time. I'm going to mess up the details. So I'll, I'll uh, list off some of the favorite things I had, and you guys chime in as well. But the event was at a brewery uh, in, a, in a smaller town outside of North Carolina, or outside of Charlotte. Um, super friendly. 
owner uh, actually ended up giving us a tour. We got there a little bit early, gave us a tour of the whole facility. Um, we had this uh, huge space with like roll up doors to play. And so it actually ended up being kind of a warm day, but it was, it was super fun. Um, tons of awesome tables and an opportunity to meet a whole bunch of people I've never played against before. So um, yeah, I, I love the event. It was a great time. Yeah. Shout out to Chad Dickinson. I think that was the guy who was running the event. Uh, very, very fun. Uh, he had some great, great boards that he put together. I know some he collaborated with some other people in the areas to bring them together, but it was a really well-run event. I really liked it. The, I had no problems whatsoever all day, and, uh, you know, he very, very on it. I thought it was great. Completely agree. Yeah, he ran a tight ship. Uh, with all, with so many rounds of varying time intervals, uh, there, yeah. wasn't, there wasn't a single hiccup, and I feel like we even had a huge lunch break as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really smooth event. And it worked out well with uh, having the taco trucks show up to the event. So, yeah, you could just go out, order, and then come back to your table, and they would text you. So that was clutch. I So, confession, I totally missed the taco truck because I couldn't get past the bar. I, like, kept stopping at the bar. <laughs> ended, up eating my, ended up eating half of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, that is true. So, anyway, why don't we jump in? So, round one. Uh, this was the scenarios were all drawn on the spot, so this was to the death. Uh, Myers, you want to kick us off with uh, a round review? Yeah, I went up against um, a guy named Mike, and Small World turns out to be he's a National Guard Army recruiter in Maryland. So right off the bat, I mean, this is my first tournament that I'd ever played in, so I was kind of a little bit nervous. Uh, met him, great guy. Uh, now found out I'm kind of in the East Coast. Anyways, I digress. Into the first round, to the death. Uh, he was using, I think it was Angmar is his army that he was using. And so um, never played against Angmar, but wasn't too worried just because looking at, um, you know, obviously I had Dane Ironfoot on foot. So to the death, it was just an all-out brawl. So my strategy was, um, just charge as fast as I could into the middle. Let's get into combat and let's let's get this going. A um, little bit first time I ever faced some magic, so I kind of had to watch out for that. He had some shades and he had some spellcasters. Uh, luckily, <clears throat> when push came to shove, there was that one combat phase where he had his magic. Uh, he tro- he charged his leader, which was a giant troll, and right up to Dane. We went into combat. Uh, I think it was Dane and one spear support against, I think it was his leader and two other orcs with spears. And the shade did an immobilize and rolled snake eyes. And so that was probably the best roll I could have got. That was the determining factor of the game because uh, only used one will and resisted it. And then called a heroic strike. His leader called a heroic strike. And we both went up to fight 10. And he didn't roll the he didn't roll the six. I rolled the six. Uh, he was out of might. And then Dane Ironfoot killed him in one turn. So that was clutch. I think that was my first three victory points right there. Uh, I was trying to go for that first prize. I forget what it was, but somebody else had killed uh, <clears throat> killed a leader already. But no, he was a great guy, great dude to play with. It was pretty fast paced, which I enjoyed because what I heard from you guys is that. 
kind of an issue about playing on tournaments. Time kind of rolls out. So we were we were both on the same page. Let's get it going. And then pretty much once his leader was destroyed, it was it was over after that. We did a couple more combat phases. I chased down his banner and killed his banner bearer and then ended up not breaking, but when you completely, what is it, 25%? Quartered. Yeah. Quartered his army. We did the points, and I think it was a it was a major victory. That sounds like 12 nil to me. Unless, did you not have a banner? That sounds like 10. 10. Yeah, I didn't have a okay. banner, so okay. I think it was 8-0. Eight, eight oh, okay. Or, Very yeah, cool. Cause, yeah. So it was a that good game. Went well for me. Like I said, got the nerves out of there. Um, no real issue. Uh, that was the first time going against some spell catchers, so I was kind of seeing how it went and lucked out with him rolling snake eyes when he needed to roll a six. So that would have gone completely different, obviously, if the dice had worked out for him instead of me. But, you know, take what you can get. I like it. Yeah, well, it sounds something... like at, at 450, that sounds like you're going up against Shade, a Barrow White, and Birder, who is the, yes. the, the named troll. And so that I think the Barrow White is the one you're talking about that's rolled the double, double ones, yes. the snake eyes. yes. Yeah, because cool. the shade, the shade was the that. Thank you. That is what also um, they were all terrifying. Yeah. And so I hadn't thought about that. And not only that, um, the shade it, gives it, minus. The shade one. has a minus one courage. So I have a courage four. Now I have a courage three. So I couldn't charge everybody I needed to. That's why Dane was singled out. That's right. Yes. So the nice, the nice thing is all your Iron Hills are fearless while they're next to Dane. <laughs> so you uh, yep, took away yes. his major play. Exactly. Yes. Although and that, that shade causing a minus one, man, that's oh, it's so tough. On the dual rules, those are yeah. horrible. So, and like I said, yeah. yeah, and my normal strategy was going to be, you know, have your Guardians of the King in the front rank because they have throwing axes, strength four, and then I would have Iron Hills as spear support in the second rank. But uh, ended up working out, I think, because it was my first game. I forgot that that was my strategy. And so I had all the Iron Hills grouped up and then all the Guardians. And so ended up protecting Dane because they were all fearless. And so I was like, oh, nice. that worked out nicely. I, did that I meant purpose. to forget yeah. my strategy. It's I not that I forgot. Yeah. I went to plan B. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Something I totally forgot, Myers, you reminded me. So every round. Chad would announce some sort of secret prize or secret objective. Uh, I, I don't remember what all of them are, so maybe you guys can remind me. But for instance, it would be the first person to, to score a trapped kill or the first person to kill a hero or the first person to get fall a banner down, whatever. Re-roll, to, to successfully win a banner reroll and do yep. a wound. Or it something was like to that. kill yeah. the first hero, a banner reroll to win, kill a trapped warrior, and then. Uh, forget the last one but yeah so and each of these would score you some sort of little prize so whether it was some more swag or it was it was pretty cool it was pretty fun and then everybody would get excited when when if they were the first person in the round to to accomplish the objective super fun so it sounded like myers you had a you had a strong start got the good first game um and honestly, a pretty good matchup with all your fearless guys against his terror-causing army. So that, that worked out well, too. Yes. I just will say it was uh, probably the biggest thing that I took away from it was you try to have fun. That's the main part. It says that in the rule book. But you also want to, you know, you want to be competitive. But coming into the tournament, if I had to do, like, a sustain or improve for myself, it would be uh, 
study up a little bit. I know I had limited time, but that was something that kind of put me at a disadvantage, not knowing everybody's special abilities and rules. Um, in this game, I mean, when we get to the later rounds, we'll see where that comes into effect. But, uh, yeah, that, that definitely was a, something that I took away from that. Uh, Matt, you want to go next? Uh, yeah, so round one I had challenged. There was a extra tournament point if you challenged your round one opponent. So I saw a guy that I knew from another tournament, John Billy, was coming, so I challenged him. Um, so to remind everybody, I was bringing Corsairs. Round one I had 30 models, Dalamir, Delgamar, a bosun, uh, but only six Arbalesters, and the rest filled out with just Corsairs. And I had five Reavers with the bosun. Um so, uh, John brought the Rangers of Athelion, Legendary Legion. Um, we played on a lake town board. Uh, the board was ruled that the water was just normal terrain, so you could walk across the board or spread out across the whole board. Um, and if you were listening to the breakdown of my list, uh, domination, or no, uh, uh, what is it? To the death is a 12-inch deployment. So John and I both deployed. Uh, I had two houses on my far side of the board edge and pretty much one house in the middle of the board and then open terrain the rest of the way. So uh, John wasn't obviously going to move with me only having six bows. Uh, so I had to come to him. I had one might of March in my list. So my first move, I moved everybody behind the house in the middle. I lost six warriors of my 30 because uh, I wasn't able to completely hide behind it. My second move, I heroic marched. I lost 10 warriors of my army. The third move, uh, he backed up half. I moved forward, still couldn't get into combat, killed one person with a throwing weapon, and he quartered my army before combat at the end of move three. Uh, all from shooting. Uh, so very exciting. Um, <laughs> I gave him a good run for his money. I was really proud of myself that I made, <laughs> made him, him back up, made him back up three inches to still shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Rangers of Athelion uh, on a 12 inch deployment are very powerful at 450. <laughs> so uh, we laugh because we talked about this probably 10 times at this point. But uh, Matt, you had made a lot of comments about what you thought he might bring, like so many different combinations and the only one you didn't talk about was a super shooty rangers of affiliate <laughs> so when you guys drew that matchup and you came over like 15 minutes after the round started you're like hey i'll just get good the first one it turned out not to be a problem <laughs> uh, you guys were having a good time with it, but holy yeah, but cow I thought Brutal. some good discussions came out of it, though, because we were talking like, what What if you face Rangers of Athelion on a 12-inch deployment? And honestly, the I think Matt came up with, I don't know if it was Matt or Marcus, came up with the best strategy. It's like, just play for a draw. Just hide and be like, okay, yes, yeah, I'm sorry. That, was, I'm, that I'm, wasn't us. That's what John said, right? That's actually oh. what John, who's, who's a super cool guy. I hope I get to play him again and give him actually a, an interesting game. But yeah, I asked him when we're done because we had all this time. It's like everybody else is still like, Fighting it out, turn games, we're done. He's got a major win, and I'm like, what could I have done different? And we he, we sat there. He's like, well, let's look at this. And he's like, 
I think the only thing you can do is just hide behind the two houses on your side and basically like give me the middle finger saying, I'm staying here, man. We'll have a draw. It's better than taking a major loss. So I I kind of agree. And, you yeah. know, and Marcus, I think you do too. But I mean, I was there to have fun. I wanted to see if I could get across the board. Clearly I couldn't. And I guess if if you're there to win a tournament and you draw that scenario at that points level, the smart thing would have been to do that. But I mean, heck, you I had to challenge him. You can't challenge him and sit behind the house. That's yeah. just yeah, because I challenged him, and then to do <laughs> the first round would be like ah. So, but no, it it was it was not fun to get quartered in three turns without combat. But really, really great guy and fun guy to play against and he was kind of laughing he's like i'm sorry to do this you're really gonna hate me and i'm like you're gonna back up aren't you he's like yeah i'm gonna back up (laughs) (laughs) you gotta do it it's a tournament (laughs) that's awesome well so it sounds like we have a really long after action report for you on this one so (laughs) Uh, yeah he he had he had a banner in the list uh he didn't get points for i was able to protect dalamir uh, the stock unseen kind of protected him. Um, but, you know, he got points for Banner quartering me, not being broken, blah, blah, blah. Got it. Uh, that's a rough matchup for turn one at the, at the 450 mark. Yes. Hey, but at least I got my battle against Rangers of Athelion at a 12-inch deployment scenario out of the way. Yeah, you got that <laughs> out of the way round one. Yes. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you won't have to worry about it again, Matt. <laughs> okay, no spoilers. Um, I can go next for... Uh, I'll go next, Mitchell. You'll go last and we'll snake it, so you'll start off the next round, too. All right. So, uh, Matt, good idea with a quick reminder. I was bringing um, the Return of the King Legendary Legion. So, at the small points level, it was literally... Aragorn the king and just a few warriors. And I went up against uh, a goblin, a Moria army. Super interesting. I'd never played this variation before. And what it was, it was the Watcher uh, Watcher in the Water with Durbaz, a captain, and just a ton of goblin warriors. So I think his total army count was somewhere just shy of 30, I think 28. Uh, So he, he was more than double my my force um, with the Watcher. And I'd never played against the Watcher. And on this board that we were playing on, and there's a few boards that were like this, they actually had water features. So it was the first time I'd ever played on a board with water features. I'm running ghosts. So I was like, sweet, I can use the ghosts. And my first game is against the Watcher in the water. And I was like, hmm, do I want to be in the water? I'm not really sure. <laughs> so um, I, I ended up staying out of the water, shocker. But so what happened? So we deployed. It was a pretty open board. Uh, there was the river going through the very middle, but that was basically it. He didn't want to go in the water with his general troops. So we, it almost like we cut the board in half, played on a little two by four. Uh, we both charged forward. He deployed the watcher pretty quick. He deployed the watcher behind his line uh, and just kept marching forward. I think the watcher moves four inches. So eventually we get to within charging range. And this is where like he, he quickly, he quickly outmaneuvered me. I never played against the Watcher. The Watcher gets D6 shots, and you just it's like the Belrog Glass. You just pull people back in to combat with you. So what he was doing was basically screening the Watcher with his entire goblin army, and the Watcher just kept pulling ghosts back into combat. And 
A goblin versus ghost, I like that matchup. A watcher in the water against two or three ghost warriors per turn, uh, that was filthy. He was killing like two, two guys, two to three guys per turn, because the watcher's super high strength, higher fight value. Uh, it was just wrecking me. So he did that for two turns. I was playing somewhat passive with my heroes because I didn't want them to get lashed in. I uh, quickly realized that wasn't going to work. And it ended up just going for broke. I was blowing my mind as fast as I could. We were probably in turn three before I realized the numbers game was quickly moving in his favor. Um, so, yeah, I started burning hero combats with Aragorn. Started burning, well, I burnt my only hero combat with the king. Trying to kill as many goblins as I could. Just trying to break him and hoping that he would run away with the rest of his force. And I'll skip ahead because there was a lot of combats that were kind of the same. We ended up breaking each other in the same turn. And when that happened, Aragorn saved me because his free point of might left per turn. I was able to keep calling that heroic move. If I lost priority, I could counter with the heroic move. And then I was able to start tying people up and forcing him to start taking courage tests. And that's when it went downhill for him quick. Um, So I was broken. He was broken. One or two turns later, it went to I was broken. He was quartered. Um, yeah, and, and I actually was able, I was never able to get into combat with any of my heroes into the Watcher just because he was screening so crazily. Uh, it was it was crazy frustrating. Never played against the model. Honestly, don't really want to play it against it again. Um, but it was a custom it was a custom model, so he built it himself. Uh, looked beautiful, but horrible to play yeah, against. Yeah, this is a uh, young Duke. He has the YouTube channel uh, Drums in the Deep and also the Instagram account. I I'd watched his YouTube channels before, and so when he showed up, the term was like, "Hey, I have a quick question for you. Why did you deploy the Watcher so quick?" And basically, his idea was, "Well, it's a three plus. If you don't deploy it when you have to deploy it, your army's dead in the water. They they rely on yeah. the Watcher." So I thought that was interesting that he deploys it as fast as possible just to make sure it's on the board, doing something rather than waiting. So, but go check yeah, out his YouTube channel. Definitely check out his YouTube channel. And the guy was, he said, he said he played some sort of astronomical total games with Moria. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. That's crazy. I've never played any any games like with one army. And within turn two, I was like, you've played double the games you just told me. Uh, so precise. He did not attempt a single charge with a goblin warrior until he was basically broken. He all he was, he set up his screen. He knew exactly where his screen needed to be. His heroes were positioned. He was able to call uh, three turns of heroic defense with Durbez, so there was no chance of assassinating his leader quickly. Uh, and from from the first turn of shooting, all he was trying to do was to take in two or three warriors and kill. He wouldn't take in. He he had some bad rolling through the entire game, but he never took in two, more than two or three warriors at a time because he wanted to kill them all and then go to the next turn. And he was one model away from quartering me as well. In the final turn, the Watcher didn't kill the, all of the warriors in combat with him. Um, otherwise, I would have been quartered too in the same turn. So the Watcher killed almost my entire army. His goblins didn't kill anything. And I, just because he was running away on courage tests, was able to, 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 to squeak it out at the very end. I think this final score ended up being 8-3. Um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, on top of being a really nice guy, he's probably the best artisan I've ever seen in painting and modeling and sculpting. The stuff mm-hmm. he made was just incredible. His Ashrak model, did you guys see that one where it was riding on the spider? Where yeah, he just sculpted the cool. whole thing. 
That was oh, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Or or all of his elite goblins where they were wearing like dwarf skins as capes or cloaks. Yeah, yeah. all hand sculpted. It was crazy good. Yeah, Beautiful he's army. got a really cool army. So I, everybody knows, I think, if they watched the last episode, I was uh, uh, playing Cond and I was running uh, the first round 450. I think I had a king. I had two chieftains and a charioteer and then like four or five horsemen i can't remember and then some warriors i was at 17 models or something like that with four chariots that was a big thing and it was to the death so to the death is about uh killing the enemy leader and breaking the army and i was going up against the three model army so in order (laughs) in order to quarter this army i had to kill all three models and in order to break it uh you know at least kill two heroes so it was ents it was fangorn i had treebeard quick beam and one end and that's what i was going up against and so I was like, okay, well, Treebeard, Treebeard's a problem. That's three VPs. That's that's going to be tough. But Quick Beam doesn't have Strike, So and then the other end. So my biggest bet was trying to break him by killing Quick Beam in the end, and then hopefully I can survive against Treebeard. And that was my, kind of my play. That was all I could think of to do it, because neither of us had banners. It was all about breaking each other without breaking, and then maybe I could get a cheeky wound off of uh, Treebeard. Um, so we kind of deployed straight up. I kind of moved forward a little bit and I had like, I think I had in my list, I think I was at like, at like at least 10 bows or something like that. I think it was at like 10 or 11 bows. So I was like, okay, maybe I get lucky. Um, I never, I never once, I, I, I shot as much as I could. I couldn't get, I got a couple of sixes, but I failed the the second roll or I failed. I got a lot of hits and I failed to, to get the six or something like that. So I never got a wound with shooting, but his throw stones, he did manage to take a wound off of my leader with his throw stone. So he hit the leader, got through the chariot uh, and wounded my king. I was able to fade it, but that was basically all he was able to do with his throw stones. So, okay, I'm already on the back foot. Um, I kind of pushed forward a little bit more and he's kind of da- dancing left and right. And I'm trying to pin him where I can so I can because the chariots do two strength four hits I was like okay well if I can get all my impact hits off you know I, maybe I can take a couple of wounds off and then he did something that was I thought I could take advantage of where he split quick beam off way to one side and he took treebeard in the end to the other side I was like okay blitz blitz quick beam so I I hit quick beam because I knew I only had a turn because he realized he had a mistake when I when I blitzed quick beam um so I I hit as hard as I could I hit uh, my king into quick beam and I actually did a wound to Quick Beam. He was able to fade it. So three wounds, no fade on Quick Beam. And then I had a Chieftain hit Quick Beam, and I wasn't able to do a wound with the impact hits there. And then I failed my Courage test with my Cavalry model to get the charge. So I, I was trying to get that three person in on Quick Beam and get the trap. I failed the Courage test, so I couldn't get the trap. I was like, okay, that's fine. I still have four attacks with my King. I still have three attacks with my Chieftain. We're looking, And he doesn't have any fate left. We're looking pretty good. So I struck up. I went up to fight 10. I was like, okay, this is great. Okay, we're looking good. I have seven attacks here. And I decided I, I was I was really worried about how fast I had to kill them before Treebeard, you know, turned around and came back at me. And I was like, I really gotta drop quick beam but fast. I have seven attacks plus a banner reroll. I have one point of might with my king and one point of might with my chieftain. So I decided to go two-handed with my king. I was—I really wanted to drop him. I wanted to put the three wounds on him. And with the seven dice plus the banner reroll, so eight dice, I got a five high. And so there was no way I could might it up. And quick beam rolled the six. So I, I, I was playing it risky. I, was, I went all in, and I failed it. And so then quick beam grabbed my leader off the chariot, and he bludgeoned him into my chieftain. 
um, the king survived, but he took a wound because you can only hit him once. So took a strength that hit, took a wound. My chieftain took a strength that hit, took a wound, but he dropped him on the ground. And so, all right, well, that sucks because I, I wish I could have killed Quick Beam. I, 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 you know, already you're having regrets like, oh, I shouldn't have gone two-handed, right? Cause, but, you know, I was, I was thinking like odds, one of them would get a six, right? No, I didn't. Oh, well. Um, so turn two. Quick Bean charges in, Treebeard starts doubling back, but he doesn't have to go as fast now because he knows that Quick Bean's fine because my king's on the ground. He's uh, he's prone. Um, so I was able to charge in a couple of extra warriors to Quick Beam. Um, he charged the chieftain and because uh, he had priority uh, and he won the roll off for the heroic move. So he was able to charge um, Quick Beam into uh, the king and the chieftain. So he, my chariot didn't get another impact hit. Um, and the king was on the ground. I was able to trap him, and I rolled a one for the strike for the second turn. So my leader died. The, he actually picked my chieftain off that time and bludgeoned him into everybody, killed everybody. And then the last bludgeon was on my king and killed my king, and my chieftain was left with one wound. So uh, right off the bat, I'm down my leader plus a chieftain. Uh, my other chieftain and my other charioteer, I pinned kind of the other end and, and Treebeard. And I was like, well, maybe I can take a wound off Treebeard somehow. And I wasn't going to play the, the game where you run away. You were here for a tournament. It was our first tournament. I was like, okay, well, we'll have fun. I'm not going to make him run me down or something like that. Um, so I, I charged into Treebeard. I took a couple – I did take a wound off, but he, he was able to fade it. And then, you know, the rest is history. I just couldn't kill three Ents once my, le once my king went down and my chieftain went down. Um, he broke me, and then I was kind of stuck around. I kept trapping, but I just couldn't win the combat. He kept rolling the six to win the combat, and I just – you know, I caught a couple wounds with my impact hits, but I couldn't do anything else after that. So he 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 got that. Lessons learned. You know, even though roll you have eight dice, as Marcus says, yeah, Marcus, <laughs> as Marcus would say, don't tempt the dice gods. I tempted them and I lost. So I I learned my lesson there. Maybe I'll go two-handed with my chieftain, and that way I can get three attacks that need five instead of, or something. I don't know. I just needed I needed something, and I I I couldn't. I, my chieftain rolled a four high because he had a point of might. I was like, okay, either he gets the five or a six. Uh, no. And then I was like, okay, my king needs a six. No, he got a five. So I I got the dice with the wrong ones, but it's all good. So that was my first game. I took a major loss. It was a twelve nothing victory. He or ten nothing victory. He uh he quartered me. He you know killed my leader. Yeah. I actually like your strategy. You said you were trying to be a good sport by not running away, but I guess if he quarters you, it's just another two victory points. But if you take a wound off Treebeard, that's a victory point for you. Uh, plus he breaks the put he breaks me without breaking. That's five. So I was playing. I wasn't broken yet. That's where I could have turned and ran. So to, to oh, eliminate, okay. it would have been a minor loss versus a major loss. So uh, if I okay. turn and ran. He he wouldn't have broken me, which means he would have won three nothing rather than the ten yeah. nothing. But I, I wanted to be the a whole game running around the board. Yeah, because just to remind everybody, they were playing under the old tournament VP rules. Four or more is a major victory yes. versus the new rules of double. Yes, correct. So I wanted to be a good sport, and I, I I thought it was well played. It was my fault that I I went risky and it didn't pay off. So I wanted to be. I want to talk well, about I mean, that. if you would have rolled the six, it could have gone completely different. So yeah. that's true. That's true. That's the thing with that. Yeah, because if you would have wiped it in out on the first turn, and then everybody would have swung around, he would have been two models left, and you would have been able to run into this the non-striking and kill yes. that, and then it would have just been Treebeard left. So yeah, that's what yeah. I was hoping for. Oh well. The dice, the dice gods laughed. They had a good time. 
Yes, they did. It's all good. At least I didn't get shot off, and at least I got into combat, okay? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was able to get into combat. They don't rub it into Matt. At least you didn't get shot. Was gonna... <laughs> yes. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> so, Mitch, why don't you take us into round two? Okay. Round two is better, okay? This was uh, Retrieval. So this is the Capture the Flag one, okay? And I was playing Iron Hills. And I was like, okay, he has a ballista, so that was a big concern. But he had Maroon Drawer, Dan on a pig, and he had a big Iron Iron Hills wall. And it was a really nice guy. Um, he he, he kind of deployed center, though. And he had his ballista in the back near the where the retrieval was. Um, where the, I, I keep saying it's a flag, because to me it's capture the flag. But he had his ballista back there, but everything else was kind of in the middle. And so I think this was just where it was a bad matchup because I had the mobility on him. At this point, I was running uh, nine horsemen plus five chariots. So that's 16 cav uh, plus a bunch of foot soldiers running around. So I was able to um, pin him down first turn because we're, we're deploying right on that diagonal line. So my chariots charge in. They actually got a few impact hits against Iron Hills, which was always fun. Um, and, I, and I had one chariot plus a bunch of... Uh, riders and a bunch of foot soldiers sweep around the edge and they were just blitzing for his prize um not a lot happened in this game unfortunately his ballista did hit some things but because it does the two inch um splatter effect i was able to mitigate it to basically only killing one thing a turn he was trying to hit my um king on chariot but i uh, he didn't roll well with a scatter so i was always able to scatter it to a foot soldier's uh, somehow sitting three inches outside, so he would just kill one model a turn. Then he switched his game because he realized I was blitzing for his uh, his flag, so he started trying to shoot them, but again, I had them spaced out, so he could only kill one a turn. And so, I mean, it, w it was kind of a bloodbath, honestly, because my chariots actually did start pushing through the Iron Hills, and I was able to grab the prize, run it back, and I ran it off my side. So I think that's seven points right there. He did try to get Dayan into combat with my king, um, and I it, he did charge him. So I had to counter charge, and I trapped Dayan, and I actually won the strike off somehow, and I actually killed Dayan. So um, well, yeah, dang. somehow I was able to. I put a few wounds on him. He he passed like one fate, but he failed like another one. And then I was the next turn I impact hit him because he had one wound left. So I was like, well, I just need a six to kill Dayan, and I and I got the six. So I ran Dayan over with the chariot. And then, nice. so I think I took, a, I think I, uh, that one was a 12 nil victory, if I remember right. Cause you got points for capturing the flag, breaking him without breaking and then killing the leader. Wow. So nice. I, I just felt bad for the guy because it was just, honestly, he just didn't have I mean, Iron Hills wants to be clumped together and they want to get their shield wall. And he just didn't have the models or the mobility to space out. And cause he had that ballista, which is, you know, take up to a lot, but he just didn't have the space to cover the whole board. And I was able to just run wherever I wanted to run. Well, yeah, 600 points. If he's running three heroes plus a artillery unit, that's not a lot of points left for warriors. Yeah, it wasn't. It was like, I think our model count was exactly the same, you know, cause, so I, I had just had the maneuverable, you know, maneuverability over him. Oh, very good. Well, you got to play to your army strengths, and that's kind of the, the gamble, right? And the, what made the tournament fun when you build the list. Do you take a gamble? Do you add the heroes early or later? Like, you, that was all part of the, all part of the list building. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, how was your game, too? Uh, game two was good. Um, 
So I was playing an army in game two. I think Mitchell already said we're playing retrieval. It was very similar build to Myers, actually. It was uh, Iron Hills. Dane was leading a contingent of goat riders. Then you had Thror leading a contingent of warriors of Erebor and guardians of the king. And then you had Thrain leading some warriors of Erebor. Um, my round two army at 600 points got me up to 42 models. I still just had the same three war bands, but just kept filling things in. So I think I had, uh, 10 arbalesters this round, uh, 10 reavers and, uh, the rest filled in with just normal corsairs with spear and shield or just shield. Um, so the way it set up for deployment is, um, you know, it's, it's kitty corner deployment. So. I'm going to talk about right and left from my perspective. On my right-hand side, he deployed Thror. In my middle, he deployed Thrain. And on my left, he deployed Dane. So it kind of looked like he was going to press forward with Thror and Thrain, middle and my right, and use Dane to kind of flunk left with all the goat riders. Now, we had a little bit of a mix-up just in nomenclature because – Right off the bat, uh, I thought that Thror was leader. So what I did was I deployed my Reavers on my back left side, protecting my objective, looking to intercept Dane when he got there, because Dane would have only had himself and four Goat Riders. So I felt like my Bosun and my 12 Reavers would be enough to tie him up. I took Delgamar and Dalamir's Warbands, and I put them on the right side to go kill his leader and then start moving around to go get his objective. And uh, so when I first moved, I kind of deployed defensively and backed up a few of my guys out of Delgamar's warband to come hold the objective if, if uh, Dane overran it. And then really pushed into Thor's warband. And right as I was making my probably second round move to get into combat we were talking and he said no dane is my leader so all of a sudden it was kind of uh okay i'm deployed on the right heavily i need to now retreat from the right and go after dane so i left probably 10 warriors plus delgamar on thror's warband i outnumbered him probably by five models on that side then uh took probably six total guys, just normal warriors, and began marching up the middle to try and run around Thrain to get to his objective and everybody else marching towards Dane. By the time Dane engaged, uh, my throwing weapons and my shooting had uh, negated all but two of his goat riders. Uh, So by the time Dane got into combat, it was pretty easy to make a move wall uh, where Dane couldn't do multiple heroic combats. Uh, so he, he set up the, the first turn of combat. He's down two goat riders. He had Dane on one guy. Uh, and I had all of his other goat riders trapped and surrounded and he was getting ready to heroic combat Dane. So I pulled the typical Corsair move. I shot my own guy out. So Dane basically could only sit vacant for that turn. And he kind of, kind of panicked when he saw that and immediately started taking, the next move started moving Dane backwards towards the objective. Um, the right-hand battle against Thor did not go my way, even though I had a significant numbers advantage. Thor's guys pretty much killed all mine. Um, 
So the rest of the game was spent with him trying to maneuver back to protect his objective. I got around Thrain, uh, and I'll go really quick on this because it'll sound boring, but it was just a lot of movement really with me chasing his guys. I killed Dane with shooting because Dane did not engage in combat the rest of the time. So Dane went down just due to shooting and throwing weapons. Uh, so I got two VPs for wounding his leader or killing his leader. When the time ran out, I had a model like probably a quarter inch from his objective. And I would have been all by myself, so I would have moved it, but time ran out. Um, so it was two nothing win for me. It was it was actually there was a lot of movement, a lot of avoidance, not a lot of killing. So when it was all said and done, he'd lost a few warriors of Erebor. Uh, I lost probably 10 of my 42 model count. I'd killed his goat riders and killed Dane and I wasn't able to move his objective just cause time got me, um, with all the movement around and stuff like that. It was a fun game. Um, pretty enjoyable. I'm I was trying to think through when that was done. Cause in the new tournament rules, I would have been just fine with that. Cause that would be a major victory to nothing. Uh, but in the old tournament rules, I really needed to find a way to get two more. So when I'm thinking back, what should I have done differently? When I realized Thror was not his leader and I moved everybody back to go kill Dane, that was a good move. But I should have made sure that I had a 10-plus model count advantage on Thror's side to break that side. Because if I could have broken him and added to the VPs and then somehow gotten a marching hero, got my bosun to get a march to get around Thrain, I would have been able to move his objective. So really, I played it pretty well. It was a dominant win, even though it was only 2 nothing. But in order to get four victory points ahead, uh, those are the two things I would do differently, is, is use my march with the bosun instead of keeping him around uh, to get around Thrain and move his objective and then have tried to leave a more dominant force. I was honestly worried about Dane and those goat riders, but the shooting just completely... Uh, the, the throwing weapons and all that just completely destroyed any advantage they had with that. I was honestly really shocked how conservatively he played with Dane because I play Dane a lot in the Goat Riders, and I just throw him in uh, recklessly, to be honest with you. I, I never, I would always use Thrower as my leader, and that way Dane is just a wrecking ball. And I wasn't expecting him to play that conservatively, so it kind of caught me off guard. If only there were points for like the Nomad Award. Because it sounds like you almost circumnavigated the entire board with your army. Yeah, yeah, because I, I actually did. Because, I mean, all the yeah. way on the right, all the way to the left, and then got back to his objective. I, I <laughs> did. I covered. I you, marched across well, the entire you, thing. You won Longest Road in Settlers of Catan. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Man, a lot of dwarf players. Yeah. I guess I just I didn't realize until now how many people were playing dwarves or super high defense armies. Yeah. Uh, Myers, you want to go third? Yeah. Uh, so second game retrieval, obviously. Um, I was playing against Jordan, so brother-in-law. He was. It was his first tournament as well. Uh, he was playing Urukai, and I had my Dwarves of Erebor, Iron Hills. Uh, this time, since we moved up to the next tier, I had Dane on Abor. And then I just added some more Warriors of Erebor and then a couple more uh, Guardians of the King. Or excuse me, not Warriors of Erebor. It was still the 12 Iron Hills Warriors. And then I had a few more Guardians of the King. Uh, so right off the bat, Jordan had 
he had a ballista, which was, we had played the day prior, and his army had just demolished me twice, just because, um, you know, once that ballista can see line of sight, he ended up hitting Dane, uh, hit him twice, hit him off his board, and the other ballista ended up hitting Dane almost off the board, so I was kind of scared of the ballista, so. Because this was the Legendary they, Legion, right, so they're re-rolling everything? Yes, yeah. Legendary Legion, thank you, uh, he had, um. His leaders weren't anything super powerful. He just had a ton of berserkers, and he had uh, a lot of yeah. Basically, he had the bomb that he'd move around. That was pretty scary as well. So uh, keeping that in mind. So we started off. My initial strategy, kind of similar to what you guys were saying, I I decided to split up. I won the priority, so I deployed Dane right away, right on that middle line. Um, I also had the priority on which where to deploy, so I tried to deploy on the side that I think had the most open terrain, so that would mean that his ballista was going to deal with more terrain, and my strategy on that was I would take one shot, I would basically sacrifice one shoot phase in the open terrain, counting on the fact that when it really mattered, I needed his ballista not to be able to shoot later in the game. So I put him on the side with more terrain. I deployed Dane right in the middle, so he was open. I kind of hid him behind my two ranks of Iron Hills. Uh, he deployed his ballista. Uh, he only really had one or two spots to deploy it. And then once he set up his line to kind of meet Dane Ironfoot, I deployed Thror, and I kind of used Thror and his guardians as a defense for my objective. <clears throat> and so he deployed his second uh, band kind of on my left, his right side, around some some buildings for a cover. And so when the game got going, or when it started, uh, I think I had priority first. I basically moved Thrower behind cover of a box the ballista couldn't shoot, and I just set up like a defense line for his warband that had split off. So we both kind of were on the same plan without putting it into words that this was going to be a battle on two different fronts. We had our attacking phase and our defensive phase so dane ironfoot had his front line and i charged forward i called a heroic march with dane so i could try to skip past that open area and ended up just getting behind the cover of the building uh, i think that really messed with his strategy for shooting the ballista because he could only hit one of my one of my iron hills guys and then my whole other front on the defensive side was pretty much covered behind terrain and cover. And so, um, wasn't really affected by the shooting too much. I think that kind of was a, was a good factor for myself. Um, he charged his offensive flank to my left. So I set up my defense. We're good to go. And then once I called that heroic March, uh, he had his one shoot phase and his crossbows crossbows didn't really do anything. Because dwarves high defense, loving that. Um, so I, I really like the dwarves for that aspect. Um, so we kind of negated the first couple phases. Uh, and then I think he killed one of my dwarven iron hills from the ballista. That was the one that he could shoot. Ended up killing him. Not a big deal. Uh, he won priority. And he kind of did this half movement to create a line and create this wall in between a tower and... A long building and so that was trying to block the objective and then i saw him put his his uh his uh excuse me 
his Isengard bomb, he was kind of hiding that in behind, waiting. I could see he was playing that defensive. So if I broke through the lines, he was going to use that as a last, you know, limited last advance. And so, <laughs> Talk about a scary, like, burn the ships. Like, hey, guys, no worries. If you die, we're going to bomb right behind yeah. you. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So no I had that, had that in the back of my head. Uh, this was the first time I had played retrieval, so kind of still trying to figure it out and realizing that dwarves only move five I already had a, I was on the back end for that, knowing that, so Dane Ironfoot on his board right away. In the back of my head, I'm thinking that's going to be the key factor. If I go for this objective, I'm going to have to charge with Dane, try to grab this thing and move it. Because I think it was three points if you move it, seven points if you take it off your side of the the board. So uh, we went, I think, one more phase. We got into combat. He charged. His front rank was pure berserkers, which was pretty fierce. so I went Dane Ironfoot. Uh, he had his leader charging uh, behind his defensive ranks. So Dane Ironfoot was going to go right for the leader. And then he had his other captain on his offensive front. So Thor and his crossbows were also over on his offensive front. So I really wasn't worried about that. Um, I thought he outnumbered me on my defense. So I was kind of worried about him spreading out and trying to just outmaneuver, you know, being three to one. On the numbers, he could just move around me and then go grab the objective. Um, he ended up mimicking what I did, which was create a front. So I, you know, I was kind of like, okay, it works out for my favor because he's creating the line, so I can just match the line. We'll be good to go. So then I was kind of focused on my offensive front. Um, Dane Ironfoot went into, he charged into two berserkers, and I had my front line of Iron Hills. They charged into the other front. And I called a heroic combat with Dane Ironfoot. We went into fight phase. Dane Ironfoot killed, obviously, on a boar. This dude, Master Forge Weapon, Strength 5, almost not fair. <laughs> killed both <laughs> of his berserkers, charged right into, or no, that phase, I went into some pike supports, pulled off some pike supports. I think I ended up killing four berserkers that turn, just from the Iron Hills and Dane themselves. Um, and then... You know, I think I lost a couple of dwarves. We went into the next phase. I won priority on the roll-off. Or no, excuse me, I lost priority. I had to use another might. So I down to one might with Dane Ironflix. He called the march, then now the heroic move. Charged into um, one person, because I was trying to count on that last might for the heroic combat. And I don't know how. I think he charged in one other person to Dane, but somehow throughout the move, I think I had charged with my Iron Hills, pulling off everybody that could attack him to keep Dane isolated. I was able to call a hero combat, you know, killed the two pike supports or whatever it was, charged into his leader, and then killed his leader. Um, So then, now looking at that phase that it was done, Dane was kind of behind his defensive front, and we kind of had separated so his bomb, the next thing that's in between Dane and the objective was the bomb and then the ballista off to the right. So I was behind cover at the time, knowing that either now my main focus was watching out for the bomb and the ballista. Um, killing some more berserkers. I think I had killed all but one berserker. Super, super good on the rolls. And then the next phase, one priority. And I kind of went for a gamble here. Uh, I decided that since time was kind of running out, I was like, you know what? 
you know, screw it. I'm just going to charge Dane and try to get the points to moving the objective. I've already killed his leader. So worst comes to worst. I think we had 20 minutes left. I said, hopefully Dane can just survive, move the objective and survive. Um, so I charged Dane over towards the objective and he moved the bomb over. And something that I hadn't accounted for was like, oh crap, now I got the bomb and the ballista. So I was like, you know, crap, I'm about to die. Uh, probably not the best call. But then some of the rules were reviewed. And uh, thank you, Marcus, just because it ended up helping me. But, it, you know, the rules were, that's kind of one of the downfalls for not knowing the rules, which is I'm glad that some light was shed just because uh, the bomb can only be ignited if there's more than one enemy within the AO. And so he tried to move the bomb over to the objective to kill Dane. But since it was only Dane, he couldn't ignite it. And so after realizing that rule, I let him, hey, you can take back that move because I didn't know that either. So he basically uh, retracted his move and then he tried to move the bomb in such a way to catch Dane on the way back. And then his ballista shot Dane and <laughs> almost knocked Dane off the board. If he would have rolled a six, uh, just because of the way the objective marker, I think that was another thing we ruled uh and I didn't think anything of it just because it was Jordan and I's first tournament. When we both placed our markers, after re-looking at the rules, it says specifically your marker needs to be 15 inches from the corner of the board. Um, but we took that as anywhere within 15 inches. And so his marker was about six inches from the corner of the board. So when Dane was next to the objective, he was shot by the ballista. And if he would have rolled a six, Dane would have gone off the board and died. Luckily, only rolled a four. And he faded the wound, so it wasn't wounded. And then the next turn, picked up the objective and was able to move it. So I got the three victory points there. And then the two victory points for killing his leader. And then I think with the the last two turns, I was able to break his force. And so I think it was a, it was a major victory, right, as we ended up. But overall, Dang. you know, it, it was a great match. We both were having a good time. Um. I think if I played that again, I would have spread out. Instead of thinking so much about hiding from the ballista, I would have used my defensive front. I would have tried to make, since dwarves are such small numbers, I would have tried to widen my front. so that Because if anybody could have outmaneuvered me, if you have dwarves moving five inches, and I had a two-man front, uh, basically had two ranks set up, about six-man front, and thinking about that in retrospect, anybody could have gone around that, basically charged a couple guys in, you know, 1v2 or 1v4, and then the other guys go around to the objective, and that could have screwed me. So I probably would have had two different squads set up. And then, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. It was, a, it was a good game. Ended up getting a major victory and, you know, getting to see Dane Ironfoot charge into combat and wreck everybody was fun. Yeah, you were stressing yourself out a little bit there. I don't, Matt Mitchell, correct me. You can't get knocked off the board anymore, right? They took yeah, that, that out. Yeah, they took that out. Now you can't be blasted off the board anymore. But uh, you oh. can't run the. You can run the Mumak off. That oh. that's still a thing. But you can't be backed off the board or blasted off the board anymore. So you that's just a, hit the edge and it stops. But yeah, I can see your panic that's there. Kind oh, of no. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At first, I'm like, okay, you know. I've got to pick it up. And then I move out, and then I see his little bomb. <laughs> move over next to Dane. I'm like, oh, no. And then his ballista. 
turns. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> uh, so talk I think about though, redirect attention. Yeah. I think though we're seeing the major, major downfall of that FAQ with the bomb though for the first time. Because we all theorized it like, oh, oh well, now to disable a bomb, you only have to send one big hero at it because well, you're not worried about it blowing up but anymore. Think about, you can, you can it. But think about this just for that exact scenario though. If I was Isengard, I would have done the exact same thing. Leave a bomb on your objective, and that's all you need to leave. Because if anybody comes over, you just detonate the bomb and kill them. Yeah, but if you're going to do that, you could have like done two waves. Like Maybe this is my own soapbox. I hate that FAQ. I hate that they did that because it yep. really neuters the effectiveness of the bomb. Well, the bombs can only be used in big blobs anymore. Exactly. So you, you're, you're the thing you always wanted the bomb for is okay. Aragorn's on the board. You go blow up Aragorn, right? You go send yeah. it. Dan's on the Put board. Four to six wounds on him. Well, now Absolutely. Aragorn and Dan, they're not scared of the bomb anymore. You're like, okay, fine. The rest of my army, you go hide in the corner. I'll go at it and take care of it myself because there's no way he can actually ever use the bomb against me. That's now. true. That's true. So, so you neutralized it because you had your biggest, baddest hero, what he wanted to blow up, but because you sent him all alone, he couldn't. And it yeah. makes no sense, really. I don't know why they required the two model, but yeah, I don't know. It ended up working out for my favor, but uh, yeah, definitely. Like yeah. I said, I'm hearing a theme here, reading up on the rules, detrimental, especially for competitive play, because I had, you know, there's two examples right there: not being able to get knocked off the board, and then the FAQ with the bomb. You know, I was totally in the dark. And uh, you say that. You say that, Myers, but you're two and zero with two major victories. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why. he's humble bragging. <laughs> this is my first time I ever played. This game isn't that hard. Yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> you just roll sixes, right? That's all you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I say it is super tangent on the super FAQ, nice. though. It is nice having four brothers there because right before the game, I say, "Hey, uh, help." <laughs> and then, <yeah. laughs> Except Matt, he got shot off in three turns. Everybody else helped. <laughs> Matt, yeah, Matt Myers, Myers stopped going to Matt for advice. He's like, hold on, I'll <laughs> talk to somebody else about this scenario. <laughs> on that FAQ, though, I, I think what we want to see is the intention was to keep armies from blowing their entire – keep you from blowing up your own army to yeah. win a game. What I'd like to see in the next iteration of that is if you blow up your full army – to end the game that that's an automatic loss for you and just say that's a major loss if you end it that way or or somehow just preclude that one strategy and i know that would be difficult it's not as easy because there's a lot of different things you could do right up to the end of the game so i think somehow focusing it out and saying if the bomb is maybe against one hero that it can be nobody else but your own bomb squad that gets blown up with it and then that fixes that think about this just Really quick, if you were to say there has to be at least one enemy model in the blast radius, that would prevent you from blowing your own army up. Because if yeah, you're seeing all the objectives, I'm never going to charge your bomb. Yeah, and then your opponent's sitting there, well, I'm not going to go near the bomb with even one guy because you're just going to end the game. So it gives your opponent a chance at least. I think I think Marcus is right. I think it should be one model because at least it gives your opponent the ability to stop it. Okay, I just won't go near the bomb. Yeah. Um, and he can't just huddle up, you know, like it gives your opponent something to do. Yeah, back away. Your, it, yeah exactly. Something. But it also the, prevents sending Dan straight at the bomb and the bomb squad can't do anything about it. I have this explosive grenade, but you're running at me. There's nothing I can do. 
the thing the thing is domination right so in domination <laughs> you can deploy on most of the objectives depending on how they're set up you can with urukai you can march so you're already moving super fast all the heroes have march and then you march the objectives and blow yourself up game over and so the game will end before combat starts mm-hmm. so margus i think this is your yeah favorite. i'm last on this one so the, round two retrieval i'm playing mitchell i'm actually playing the army you just played i'm playing the ints and so again, super small numbers. My ghosts, my ghosty boys against uh, four trees, two warriors, two heroes. Like I finally outnumber somebody. I finally out. That's literally what I said. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Um, tough matchup just on paper because my ghosts are pretty much fearless. So they have such a high courage. I think they're courage six. My heroes are high courage. I have Aragorn. Yeah, I'm hitting their courage, so I negate their defense. So on paper, I was like, okay, I need to be cautious because I don't want to do something stupid. We'll come back to this in just a second because I broke my own rule. Um, and then we'll see how this goes. So we deployed We deployed really close to the middle. He uh, went in a straight line across that center, center kitty corner. He did two warriors spaced in the middle, and then they were flanked by two heroes. And each tree had probably two to three inches between. So kind of spread out. And I kind of went in one death ball uh, to start. First turn, he opted to stay still to throw stones. And so I split my force. I split a contingent of warriors to go around the left side, around, so that was Treebeard's side. And then I marched Aragorn and the King of the Dead and all of the other warriors hard right. And I was gunning for quick beam. Mitch, this exact strategy you called out, the non-striking drill, let's start there and see if we can cascade and create a waterfall. So that's what I did. With the march, I was in charge range with turn two, and he he was in a weird predicament because he lost priority, and he wasn't sure if he's going to call a move and try and recenter, so he opted to take the charge and keep his might uh, for rolls, and he was going to try and bring Treebeard to support. But the, just the way he deployed, Treebeard was just out of range to be able to come back and, and help Quickbeam because of how they were spaced with those two warriors in the middle. So turn two, Aragorn, the King of the Dead, uh, they both charged quick beam. A couple of warriors charged. They, what was it? They, I did get the trap, so lots of numbers on that. A bunch of other warriors charged the two warrior ints, so I tied up his entire front line. Treebeard had run behind, and at that point, Again, he was caught in a predicament because now I was blitzing. I had five or six ghosts on his flank. I was blitzing around running for his objective. So he was, okay, do I – I'm not going to get to quick beam. Do I go for broke and try and get as close as possible, or do I play a little bit more passively to make sure I'm in position next turn to respond both ways? So he opted to play passively. So Treebeard is now kind of uh, in the back flank supporting. That combat wasn't great for him. I got the strike on Aragorn. Uh, I think I called, no, I just called one strike with Aragorn. I went up higher than fight. I think the uh, quick beam fight seven. So I went yeah. up higher than fight seven. You need to roll a two. And even if you roll a one, you have an elven made weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and Aragorn trapped and dural plus the king attacking courage was able to kill quick beam in one turn. So quick beam died with all of his might, all of his fate. Uh, and so that was, he, he was, he was kicking himself cause he saw exactly what he did. He's like, oh, that was so stupid. Um, so let's, let's rebound. So turn three, 
He's now down three might, so now he can't be crazy with calling heroic moves. So I get uh, I lose priority, but I call a move with Aragorn, and I do the same thing. I Aragorn, the King of the Dead, into a warrior, trap him. I bog down Treebeard. I bog down the other end. So I'm thinking, okay, I will call a strike combat with the King of the Dead and Aragorn. And then depending on how my strike goes, if I strike up and he doesn't counter strike, I'll charge Treebeard and try and one-shot Treebeard. Otherwise, I'll just go into the other warrior. I roll. I actually get to strike 10 on um, Aragorn strike, so that was pretty cool. The King of the Dead calls a combat, and he elected not to call any heroic ability. And so at this point, I'm thinking this game could actually end this turn. All of his ends are trapped, and I'm about to kill the warrior and then go into Treebeard and kill Treebeard um, and table him. So we get to the fight. Aragorn, the king, three warriors, uh, plus Aragorn has two points of might left. I roll, and Mitchell, I pulled, I did your tempting the tempting the dice. I rolled something horrible with my banner, still couldn't get the six. And his int, his little warrior int, rolled a six. And at that point, I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? What? Yes. He picked up, picks up Aragorn, and he starts bludgeoning. And this is the first time I've played an int who actually got to bludgeon a hero. And I was like, I, I pulled up the rules. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many times do you get to strike Aragorn? So he ended up putting... <laughs> He put three wounds on Aragorn by bludgeoning. And luckily, he finally sputtered out and couldn't keep killing the warriors. So Aragorn's prone. I lost two warriors. Uh, the king... No, the king's not prone because he didn't bludgeon the king. Um, Aragorn has taken three wounds. So now i got to start pulling fate. I rolled all of my fate. I had to burn all of Aragorn's might. I think he had two left just to keep my fate and keep from taking a wound. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That, and then Treebeard won his combat, killed three warriors. So in one turn, I went from, oh, I could probably table him this turn, to I almost just got my hero killed. Um, so the rest of the game, honestly, was more cat and mouse. I got freaked out. Aragorn went and hid. He started calling marches to help funnel people to the objective there and back. I ended up just tagging the, the Ents in a, such a way where I killed the warrior the next turn because he couldn't roll that six. And I had like eight or nine guys on him. And so the rest of the game, I basically just built a circle around Treebeard. So he couldn't barge. He couldn't get away. He couldn't combat. Aragorn ran out of throwing rock range from Merry and Pippin or Treebeard himself. Um, and then I was able to get to his objective, thanks to Aragorn, get the objective back on my side of the board. And at that point, he realized he could dismount Merry and Pippin, get Merry and Pippin killed, and then that would quarter him. And then that would end the game. So he actually realized that on the last turn. So I almost didn't get my, um, I didn't get the eject onto my side of the board. So I think the final score ended up being eight, nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, if he, it would have been eight, it would have been five, nothing or four, nothing. If, if he would have dismounted Marion Pippin sooner, but. I was going to say you did what I couldn't, which was kill quick beam, but then you also did what I did <laughs> by not rolling the six. Oh, warrior Int just yep. almost single-handedly dismantled the legendary legion. It was bludgeon sucks. Let's <laughs> I yeah. that really hey, messed and, up. And you had DA army, so he needs a four plus. Most armies just need a three. You know, yeah. it's like ugh. Oh, just Aragorn only needs threes. He rolled his threes for Aragorn. He yeah. rolled all of. Wait, so threes. what's bludgeon? You just basically strike any warrior in the combat. You you, you pick you you. You select the brutal a power. So instead yeah. of like hurling or rending, you can do this. 
yeah, you select a model and you pick him up and then you whack him into something, another model. If you kill that model, you get to whack him into something else, another model. So and every time people, people take every, hits. Yeah, so every time you whack him into the model, uh, that model takes a hit and then the bottle you picked up takes a hit. So basically he picked up Aragorn, whacked him into a warrior of the dead. That warrior of the dead died. Aragorn took a wound. Then he whacked him into another warrior of the dead. That warrior died, and Aragorn took a wound. And then he whacked him into the model. He must have failed that one, but yeah. Aragorn still took a wound on the third one. Oh. It's, yeah. it's rough. It so, explains yeah. why I only had three models, or five. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a lot. But I we were talking, so the game actually ended up going pretty quick from a time perspective, just because he, he just ran out of guys to move. Uh, and we, we were also chatting, and he I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, you have two heroes, Quick Beam, Beachbone. Why did you take Beachbone? Because Beachbone's like another striking hero. He's, I think, one higher base fight value. And he said, absolutely, 10 times out of 10, he would have taken Beachbone. But he was restricted just by the way the escalation worked and the points built up. He would have had to been down, I think, 50 points for one of the rounds in order to upgrade the hero. So just, just the way our, our rounds were, he had to do Quick Beam. So the next round he had Beachbone? No. So the next rounds he just had to keep adding warriors. So the ends are so expensive and the heroes are even more expensive. He added two heroes, I think, at the very beginning. Uh, and then add, just kept adding one warrior every round. Uh, and there wasn't enough points for him to add the two biggest heroes and then add warriors. So unfortunate, but still a really cool army. All of his, uh, he, he had uh, the older ints, and I think he also customized one himself. So every int looked different and unique, which was pretty sweet. So. Very cool. All right, so what does that take us into round three? Mm-hmm. Breakthrough. Breakthrough, breakthrough. Um, I'll kick us off on this one since I just finished. So breakthrough, Matt, I played on the same board you played in game one, the Lake Town board. And I also... Got the legendary Legion Rangers of Athelion draw. Um, it was a different guy. There were two Rangers of Athelion armies. And this was at 725. So much larger um, battle. But the biggest difference is Breakthrough has a 24-inch deployment. So I was able to deploy way up, uh, way further than you You got stuck with. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, um, so what happened? So he had... I want to say something crazy like 63 Rangers, I think his number was. He had all the heroes. The one thing that was unique in his army that I thought, he had Faramir on horse. Uh, So not the kitted out, armored, heavy armored. It was just Ranger Faramir, but on horse. Uh, And then he had all the named Rangers, even the new, the two new named Ranger heroes. And his last hero was just a Minas Tirith captain on horse with a lance. And then a huge horde of guys with bows. And so what I did, 24-inch deployment, I actually was, I got kind of fortunate with what how this, this sequence of events played out. I deployed my herald right behind that house in the very middle. So he's got to be protected, but he was right up on the, on the center line. And his first war band ended up being, I can't remember which of the ranger heroes it was, but he ended up being nine inches from he he set up between two buildings nine or nine and a half inches from the center line trying to set up an angle where he'd be able to shoot diagonally uh, for the rest of the game and have coverage of the whole board after he did that i ended up deploying 
um, Aragorn's warband because Aragorn brought two Riders of the Dead with him. Shout out to Matt for building my awesome uh, awesome night, but then Matt Iverson as well for telling me I'd be stupid if I didn't take Riders of the Dead. Uh, they they were clutch. They were able to basically so we deployed the rest, but turn one, what happened is I called a, a heroic move and I was able to charge both of my Riders of the Dead into that one warband. It was probably 12, 13 guys. And I shut them down from shooting because they can't shoot past, they can't shoot past their friendly combats. And Aragorn marched like full on forward. So at that point, he's in a, a situation where he's trying to recreate a horseshoe to maximize his shooting. Um, and so this is where things got interesting. So imagine we have this, this large building in the center board, and then we have buildings scattered in a full circle around the board. And so all of these battles are happening kind of between the outer rim and this central building. And it was creating a lot of weird angles where if I, because I, I pushed so far on my right side of the board to, to charge the cavalry and then charge, follow up with Aragorn, he was having to move forward in the first turn or two just to be able to turn left and shoot my army. Um, so I, he didn't, he wasn't hitting on threes. Uh, some of his guys on the very far flank were having to use their entire move phase to reposition to get in a better angle. So that first turn or two of shooting, he never shot more than 25 bows, I think it was. And uh, regular bows against D8, what is that, six by fives? It's a really hard conversion to make, so my defense held up pretty well. Um, and Aragorn got into combat, started doing his heroic combat thing, and ended up wiping that that squad of um, rangers, I think in a turn or maybe a turn and a half. At that point, he kind of realized maybe the shooting game wasn't going to go well. So he blitzed Faramir on horse and his captain on horse around the opposite flank. So he's going to say, okay, well, if you're going to charge hard over here, I'm going to make you um, spread out and charge. He probably did five to eight warriors, the two heroes, and they were moving quick. So that forced me to bring some of my ghosts back around that central building just to try and play defense, hold them up, um, what ended up happening is he charged in one turn. I had five, I had five ghosts. He charged Famir and the captain into two each. So then I guess that mean I had one spear support, however that worked out. He called hero combats with both. The captain of Minas Tirith won the combat because my guys are only fight three. He's fight four with the lance, knocked everybody down, killed both ghosts charged into the spear support, and then Faramir won his combat, knocked down both ghosts, had to burn, I think, all of his might, ended up killing both of his guys. So in one turn, he killed five ghosts, and the only five ghosts I had within 12 or 13 inches of like even contesting my back objective. So I was like, oh, my word, what's happening? Um, future turns, that made me have to start funneling quite a few guys back to my objective just to try and hold. He ended up running both of his heroes after he wiped all of my warriors who were protecting. He ran both of them back into the fray that were happening back uh, more in the center of the board, continued pushing forward with his warriors, and we ended up doing a giant swinging gate. So I charged forward on my right, he charged forward on his right, and we just kind of kept pivoting that way. Um, I'll fast forward because a lot of, there was a lot of meticulous moving there's a lot of 1v1 combats um 
I think a couple of the highlights, the D8 shone really brightly. I, he had so many sixes to wound that he then followed up with a three. I want to say at least five or six. So that was that was huge. Um, Aragorn ended up calling a couple marches because I was way out on the right flank. Once I was able to kind of eliminate that first war band, Aragorn ended up marching back to the center to support the King of the Dead and the Herald. And then it was just how many heroic combats can I call? The king called four heroic combats, was able to convert those into probably two kills per combat. So he had a ton. He was wounding his rangers on, what, threes? Um, all of my warriors were wounding his warriors on fours. It, it was it was pretty fun for the ghosts um, in that respect. And fast forwarding to the end of the game, the last turn ended up being like his captain of Gondor and Famir and a few rangers protecting his back objective. I had probably two or three warriors on foot plus a rider of the dead protecting my back objective. He contested my back objective with five or six guys. And I contested his objective, his back objective with Aragorn, the Herald, the King of the Dead and five or six warriors. And unfortunately he was broken so in that turn he had to take courage tests all but like one of the guys on my objective ran away and so all of my warriors just swarmed the remaining guy to kill him and even more of his guys protecting his objective ran away because of the harbinger of evil from the harbinger of evil from the king of the dead and so just through just sheer attrition i ended up pushing him off of his objective completely taking that over and then we each held uh, one objective on the side. So I'm going to uh, hopefully get this right. I think the final score was 10 to 2 because I killed his leader. I broke him. I captured his back objective. I captured one of the central objectives and protected my objective. So uh, really good game. I definitely lucked out getting the 24-inch deployment. 12-inch uh, deployment with 63 shots. Uh, even with D8, I don't know if that would have gone well. Wow. Um, wow. So I think some some of the big uh, some of the big swings of the day, definitely his uh, his lack of luck, I guess I'll say when he was rolling those sixes to wound and then had to follow it up by a six by four, not getting that four. That was huge. He, he had a bunch of those early on. It would be a five, right? D8 on strength two bows. Oh, sorry, in in combat. So yeah. Oh, so combat. Oh, okay. Shooting I'm sorry. I sucked. Thought, I thought you were talking shooting, shooting sucked just because yeah, six by five is super hard. He didn't get a lot of chance to shoot in volume. But then even once that first two or three turns of combat, he actually rolled quite a few because he had the numbers advantage and he was winning fight value. So he won quite a few, got the uh, six, but couldn't kill me. So uh, that allowed me to stick around and then the numbers advantage ended up swinging in my favor. Wow. So that, that could have gone horribly. And it um, sounds like too, I kind of was watching the end of this game too. Um, it looked like the harbinger of evil paid off big time in the end. Once he, once he broke, you were able to put the King of the dead kind of in between two objectives and you made both of them just like scattered to the winds. Yeah. Covering two objectives. He stayed, he was staying kind of covering the, his back objective plus one of the side objectives and it was like a 12-inch ring of death. Everything within that 12-inch bubble kind of disappeared. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. And honestly, 
uh, Mitchell, we talked about this. When you're rolling courage tests, sometimes you just get unlucky. He rolled. So of his six guys or so sitting on my back objective, he probably rolled 20 courage tests that turn. And the first six he rolled were those six on my objective. He failed five of six and then failed like one for the rest of his tests. So, oh, I mean, no, if you the important one. Yeah. So if you would have swung that around, if he would have passed all the all the tests and then contested my objective, that would have been totally different, too. So I got pretty fortunate there. Um, really good. Really good game. Had a lot of fun. So. Very cool. Well played, oh. too. Oh, it was tough. Lots of shooting. But. So that's three wins for you, Marcus, right? Yeah, three three major victories. So that sent me after that game uh, headed to the the top table for for the last round. So that was pretty fun. Very cool. Uh, the steamroller is in motion. I wished, <laughs> but all right. Who's next? I think Matt's next. All right. So uh, game three, I was playing Jordan, uh, our brother-in-law from your guys' area. Um, so at 725, my army was now up to 51 models. So Corsairs are finally feeling in their comfort zone. Uh, let's see. I think I had 11 Arbalesters. Uh, this this warband introduced uh, my captain. So, or this round introduced my captain. So I was running four warbands, and I uh, brought a, a Black Numenorean contingent now. So. <laughs> At Breakthrough, Jordan had, at this point's level, two siege weapons, a bomb, I think six crossbow gun in a gun line, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, and a bunch of, uh, bunch of berserkers. He, in the Legendary Legion, he had his one captain and another, and another regular captain. So as I looked at the board, we were on a very cluttered, think of it... N- almost like an Osgiliath. It wasn't Osgiliath, but it was like a, a ruined, broken up castle type terrain setup. And right off the bat, knowing his army build and looking at the way the board was set up, one side was wide open. The other side had a bunch of ruins with alleyways that you could go through. So right off the bat, I knew that winning board edge was very important. So I did win board edge. So I deployed on the side where I would have a lot of alleyways to walk right up the middle. Uh, my opponent deployed a ballista middle right and middle left side of the board. So what I did is I deployed all my arbalesters on my right side. I spaced them right at the 24-inch line, and I just I set them about two inches apart from each other. And I put a uh, just normal warrior with a spear support between each arbalester. So imagine I've got this really long gun line on the right side with warriors in between each arbalester. Uh, But so that the max he could get was two kills if the siege weapon on the right was successful in, in hitting with the pushback. Uh, I then stuck everybody else in the middle and negating his uh, siege weapon on the left side from being able to hit anything. He also had his crossbows stacked up on the siege engine on the left side. So right off the bat, turn one, 
I realized that he had left two of his crewmen on the siege engine on the right exposed. So all 10 shots on my crossbows, I won priority, so I got to shoot first. All 10 shots went at those crewmen. I killed both of them. So right off the bat, one siege engine gone, effectively, because there was only one crewman left on it. Nice. Yeah, he had his bomb in the middle, and he started trying to get shots with his arbalester and his crossbows on the left side, but he really couldn't do anything because I was protected by cover. So we have a couple rounds of movement. And when we finally engaged, he had some shots with the crossbows and his siege weapon, but I positioned in such a way that he was going to have to take in the ways of his own army in order to be successful in hitting. So really his crossbows probably got one or two kills shooting into combat. Uh, They always took my guys out. He never killed himself. The siege weapon was negated for the most part. Um, So as you think through the turn progression, my contention on the right side swept up and around. So by the end of like turn four, I had surrounded him from behind and in the front. Uh, Now here's where Dalamir and Delgamar just, they just went on a rampage. Uh, several strings of heroic combats taking out uh, berserkers. A lot of my warriors just shielding to keep numerical advantage so I could just stack up on the heroic combats and and just go crazy. Um, I was able to use throwing weapons and killed uh, the berserker on the bomb. So when he finally got the bomb in position to be able to have a major explosion, he had only normal courage warriors and he failed his courage test on the bomb, so the bomb didn't go off. I got really lucky there. And then the next turn, I killed all the warriors that were around the bomb. Uh, but, I mean, th- this was a typical Corsair shooting, just wrecking, because throwing weapons, uh, when you have that many of them, and then 10 arbalesters shooting, it was just unholy. Uh, so it worked out really well in my advantage. And it was all about getting the board side that I did. I mean, really, the game for the most part, was already decided when I got my board edge the way it was set up. Which is something, I mean, maybe to talk about in tournament play, setting up a board. I mean, I, I guess that's part of the game. If you're going to take a siege weapon, you have to know that that can stack up against it. But it was really lopsided the way the terrain was set up there. There's just a lot of terrain, I feel like, in general on those boards. Yeah, they were super cool and themey, but, I mean, that does not tend to reward high shooting armies sometimes. Uh, there there was a lot of terrain i agree but luckily all the boards i played didn't affect my chariots movement which was kind of cool but i could see for shooting but chariots were still able to maneuver i feel like yeah yeah this is literally why i think i have such a, a bitterness towards shooting is because well so let's take a step back there were probably two or three really open boards i played on two of them the forest full forest board against the ants was virtually wide open and there was some small ruins that were very short and very tiny kind of scattered throughout. So it was basically open field. The game against the, the watcher in the water was totally open except for the very corners with the river going through the middle. And then there were boards that were heavily, heavily covered with terrain. And it's, it's, I feel it's like the luck of the tournament. If you're a shooting army and you get set up in a, a series where you play two or three in a row on those heavily covered boards, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Now, I think the major downfall of this, uh, 
assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. No news to anybody, but you have no striking heroes. So my army only has one striking hero. So the interesting thing that I did here was a lot of Dalamir uh, stationary, throwing a smoke bomb, mm. uh, neutralizing somebody, and then allowing uh, a Delgamar or a captain to then charge in with a higher fight with Dalamir not even being in danger at any time. Because it's uh, only one will on the captains. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yes. So Dalamir smoke bombs, actually, because I was a little bit paranoid when I first got into it because the way it was set up when I finally got engaged in the middle, he would have sacrificed some of his guys in order to get that one ballista that was still remaining a shot on uh, Dalamir. So I kind of left Dalamir hidden in some terrain, and he was just chucking smoke bombs into combat. Uh, and, and that really uh, turned out to be effective on that. Uh, it, it was it was kind of a bloodbath. It was 12-0 my, my victory at the end. So good game. Terrain made most of the play. It was really fun seeing the throwing weapons be that effective against a lot of D5 uh, crossbows, a lot of D5 pikemen. And uh, it, it was it was kind of cool. The Reavers also, I think I was up to uh, 11 Reavers in this round. My goodness, I always just enjoy, no matter what happens, when you see the Reavers just kill like three times their model count. Failing courage test, failing courage test. Uh, that was cool. That's epic. You have so many shots. Umbar uh, is hard. Uh so much Dacker that they get a chance to throw it. They're just going to run over, run over armies. Yeah. Good. If you, can, if you can get them against D five, those throwing weapons are just insane. If you can get them on a 24 inch deployment. Yes. <laughs> yes. You guys might notice where I can deploy in the middle of the board. I'm doing fairly well right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's next for game three? Myers. Mitchell? Myers? Uh, Myers? I played, uh, I played Victor for game three. He was doing Dolgoldor. So he had the Necromancer, and he had, I think, seven, six ring race. So he had seven ring race, and then he had one Dark Marshal, and then the Necromancer. So he had a total of nine models. The dark, oh, do you mean uh, the, 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 the Keeper Castellan. of the Dungeons? Oh, Castellan. Castellan, yeah. Castellan, sorry. He did, did he have the Keeper of the Dungeons? No. Okay. Yeah, we were playing... never played this scenario either, so I didn't really know what was going on. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but you throw... I've never played this army before. Uh, completely spellcasting. I had heard something about how they just keep respawning, so I was like, okay, this is going to be weird. Uh <laughs> you heard something about them coming back this sounds great you continue <laughs> yeah they were like yeah they just keep respawning i was like oh that sucks and then they were like hey you're playing victor and then i look who's victor they're like oh they're the dog all door i was like oh i just heard about you all right <laughs> and then uh so he ended up it's honestly probably was my favorite game of the tournament just because dude was a great dude um really good sport uh you know, I was still learning. I was like, hey, right off the bat, I was like, look, man, I've never played this army, never played this scenario, so you had to work with me. And so, and and on top of that, he's like, hey, I get it. There's like 30 different rules for each hero, so just be ready. Like, he started pulling out, like, Pokemon cards with, like, 
I was like, what's going on? He like started doing cards, cards, cards. I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so I deployed first, uh, and I just kind of played back on my home objective. I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I knew like spectrals, they could move through your ranks and everything. I wasn't too sure about what was going on, but, uh, quickly found out I will go into the AR at the end, but so I deployed on my home objective with Thror and then I put Thrain, um, with Dane on the right middle objective on the if i'm if north was to my front on the eastern objective um and so he deployed with the necromancer to counter and then he had the witch king and then he deployed um a couple at his home objective and then to the western objective he had a couple over there as well so he automatically right off the bat you know, had two objectives. I had two objectives, but we were right there to have this battle on the eastern side. And so we go into combat, and there was a couple of mishaps with confusion. We had gone over our, like, army rules and bonuses, and I had, what I had thought disclaimed that Iron Hills were fearless. That wasn't clear. And so we went right into combat. He charged the Witch King behind my enemy ranks, went right into Thrain, and then I just trapped him. And he was like, whoa, wait, what's going on? Because he tried to, I think he transfixed or immobilized somebody, Dane. And then once we clarified that I was fearless, he basically retracted his movement, went back to the beginning. And then he started playing a lot more, um, I guess, mellow. But uh, so he charged like one guy in and then he charged the Witch King, tried to immobilize, he mobilized Thrain. Um, and then tried to use the Morgul Blade. Didn't work. Um, I don't remember the rule if it's just one one. I think I faded it, so it didn't work. But uh, um, basically some combats happened. And the whole game, which I should have, you know, major victory. Because I had, I think, 30 models to his nine. <laughs> the Necromancer just basically went. <laughs> all the way across the board. I would kill them all every single time. They would just respawn back on the objective. So I, <laughs> this this is not going well. So then I just say he had one. He had, I killed you. Yeah, yeah, he, had, he had one warg, and uh, Necromancer has like twenty five will. So every time he's doing a cast, he's got five dice. So it's like a guarantee, almost a guaranteed six. I felt like. He had his warg that was moving around, so I had, like, a defensive front. Um, and then I changed my strategies about halfway through the game, to which I feel like I should have done from the beginning, which is I'm just going to blitz to every single objective and make you come chase me, or at least I'm going to come make you put a fight for this objective. So I sent, I left Thrain, and about seven, it was a mix of, like, Iron Hills and Guardians of the King at the eastern objective. I charged Dane towards the necromancer and then i sent about four or five iron hills warriors to the northern objective to his objective and i kept thror with like a, a bubble of five guardians at my southern objective and then i sent the rest of the remainder two towards the warg who was off to my southwestern side hiding behind some cover and then i charged everybody else towards the remainder on the uh, western objective and throwing axes were honestly the best thing that could happen because I would charge into someone, throw an axe, kill them, 
because it's you know I could kill my throwing axe and then I would just you know keep moving to the objective and then it ended up being a standoff the necromancer went up to the second story of a building so I couldn't I had to dismount Dane if I wanted to go get him I didn't want to do that and so every time I sent a dwarf I tried to send like a little pack of four or five warriors to go climb the the ladder to go get the necromancer he would just chill soul um, <laughs> and so he ended up uh we we did this it was like a dance around the circle like music chairs and i don't know how long this match was two and a half hours or so but uh the necromancer by himself none of his ring wraiths or witch king killed anybody never they never really won a fight ever and if they did the defense eight like, the one time he won a fight was with the Morgul Blade, and I think I faded it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can fate the Morgul Blade, right? It's mm-hmm. only yeah. If it yeah. Yeah. So I remember that correctly. Okay, so I faded the Morgul Blade. That was the only time he won. Everything else, he ended up breaking my force with Chill Soul because um, the Necromancer oh, was on the second story and just Chill Soul, Chill Soul, Chill Soul, Chill Soul. <laughs> and then Dave would funny. come around. Yeah, it was like, okay, I don't really know what to do. I finally <laughs> charged a couple warriors around. And killed his warg, but in doing so, I left the western objective open, and his ring wraith respawned. And so when the game ended, um, I ended up breaking him because most of his ring wraiths were dead at the end of the turn. I was broken, so that canceled out. But he, no, no, he didn't. He got the points for breaking me. His force was not broken because they're not broken unless they're actually killed because the little respawn tokens are still there. But I did get the points for controlling the objective. No, if if they're not uh, active at the end, then they count as dead at the end of that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they FAQ'd that. Really? Yeah, yeah. So if he had those all dead, then they they count as dead. Yeah, the only one that was alive was the necromancer and the one on the all right, well, that would have changed. So, and, and Myers, you would have captured those co- command points, too, then. Well, they can't count as holding them with the little tokens. We took, we took the, he said that, and this is just me being new. I mean, obviously the theme, not knowing the rules. But uh, we, he said that since they were dead, they, I got the points for being in the area because they weren't there. But I didn't count yeah. as breaking the force unless I actually killed the model. I only had killed one of his ring rays, so his force was not broken. So we ended up drawing um, two to two or three to three. So I, that, I guess if that was a FAQ, I would end up winning that one. So, I mean, whatever. Yeah, in the heat of battle, certainly. Yeah. That's a weird army. It's new. It feels like you that. can't kill them because they just keep coming back. Yeah, I can feel, I can see that. It's, it's so. Weird. What's the what's the FAQ on that? Basically, so, they have to be on the board in physical presence to count when the game ends. So yes. if they're not on there, then at the end of the game, then they count as being killed. So they haven't respawned yet because they don't respawn till the beginning of a turn. So when the game ends, if they're only there in token form, representing where they were killed. They count as being dead. So and I'll look that, that up to make sure I'm right, but I play that army a lot. I'm pretty sure that's the case. I was going to say, well, if that is the case, I would have ended up winning that. So I would have been three wins instead of two major victories and a draw. But, oh, well, I should have known the rules or at least asked somebody. He just he seemed very confident in the rules. So I was like, okay. Well, and I wonder, that what would that actually have changed the score by? It would have so changed the score. So you would have broken him and you wouldn't win. have been broken? 
So you would have he did break him. So he took points yeah. for being broken. And Actually, the guy took points for breaking him without breaking. Yeah. We so that's where he got his three points. So he would have gotten one point instead of three. And yes. Mark Myers would have gotten four instead of three. So it would have yeah. been a four-one victory to Myers rather yeah. than a instead three of a tie. Two. Got it. Yeah, because I controlled more points. Mm, and, that's a bummer. Uh, yeah. Huh. That yeah. happens. That I, I swear that happens once a tournament where you, you have a faux pas on the rule. Mine's coming up here in a little bit. Um, but it's – especially as you're playing, you get tired. You, the day starts to, you know, progress. You have one too many drinks, and then it's it's easy to slip, especially when every army is new. Yeah. Well, bummer, too, because he ended up placing third, so that could have changed. And I wouldn't have gone against Rohan in the fourth turn. But anyways, I <laughs> uh, Yeah, that is a bummer. Hello. Who's up? That's me. Uh, Mitchell, you're last. Yeah, so we're talking breakthrough. Um, I got the board that Marcus was talking about, the forest one, with a couple of ruins, so wide open. This is my ideal board for chariots. It's breakthrough. I love breakthrough because you're on a 24-inch deployment, and you just press them on their back objective, and you basically control the whole board when you have chariots. It's great. Myers was just playing the Nazgul of Dul Guldor, and I was playing the Nine, the new legendary legion. So we're both <laughs> playing the ring rates. And, and you guys are playing like right next to each other because yeah, we're, are right we're playing team. pretty close yeah. to each other. Yeah. Um, so we we deploy. I deploy right on that 24 because, like I said, with chariots, you deploy right on that center line and you just pressure him the whole game and you just wait for time to run out and you're usually holding most of the objectives. Um, and he deployed kind of like on his back objective, but where he could see, but he clumped them all together. They were all right next to each other. And I have 20 something bows with my army, so I was like. Phew, he, 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 his first turn, I think he got priority or something like that. And he decided, okay, I'm going to run forward and try to compel. And he kind of did a dance forward, dance back. And he got uh, a chariot to move. It didn't do anything. He, cause I had the way I'd positioned everything. It actually, he, he tried to impact hit one of my guys, but he failed to impact hit. So it actually stalled. It wasn't, it was only going to kill one guy anyways. Um, and then he kind of like ran forward, ran back. He tried to throw a lot of black darts, but he was only throwing single will black darts. So he'd only roll one dice trying to get that five plus and he failed a lot of them. So he would run forward five inches and then ran back. And then it was my turn to move. And I said, I'm done moving. And then he realized I have 20 something bows. So with those 20 something bows, I actually shot four horses out. So he has only had eight because this is 725 points. I have um, six chariots in this list. I have two kings. So it's two striking heroes, two chieftains, and two regular charioteers. I have nine horsemen and a bunch of warriors to fill in. He had the witch king and then seven ring wraiths on horse. Um, and I think their composition was two might, seven will, and two fate or one fate, something like that. The way it, comp way it balanced out to be. So turn one, I shot out four horses. So half his army is dismounted right off the bat. And I'm like, sweet, this is great. I have three of the, so far I have three of the tokens. Um, the, and he's half his army is dismounted. So turn two, I actually kind of press forward and I kind of, because I want to pin him now so that since he's dismounted, he can't run around me. He'll be pinned and then I'll control all the objectives. So I ran, he kind of, ran up closer towards this tree clump and I was actually able to pin him. So he couldn't go left or right or forward because he had the trees behind him. I had two chariots to the right, two chariots up front, two chariots up to the left. I had 
all the objectives at this point because he completely abandoned his. And so I sat five guys on each objective. And I was like, okay, let's play this game out. And I had every single objective taken over. I had seriously pressed him. Like I said, he had four guys dismounted. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, I just need to win one roll off, one move. Because with my chariots, I can run into him. And I can knock out a couple more horses the way I'd positioned it with the impact hits, two strength, four hits on a defense, four horse. And I can at least pin him so he's not getting all his magic casts. I can knock out some horses, knock out his mobility, make sure he can't cast magic. I just need one roll off. He only has one wound. So even a two strength, four hits on a D8, I just need one six too. Maybe I get a couple lucky kills. I lost every single heroic move roll off. And I called oh. one every, I called one every single turn. And the way I balanced out my might, all my might was only spent for moves. And I had, I had eight might. So that's like, I, I, I was calling multiples in turns and I just, no, because he would win the roll off and then he'd scream at the other one that called the move. And then he'd win the roll off and then pin the guy that called one. And then he'd black dart all my warriors. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I still have positioning. My chariots aren't getting a single charge off, or they are not even able to do it. He's still compelling some of my guys. He, I actually, he got a few because I wanted to get as many bow shots as possible. I left some of my warriors exposed to compelling, which he did turn and run them over. But I think he only ran over like four or five of my own guys in total the whole game. So it wasn't like a big deal, but he did uh, mitigate the chariots. So that was the big thing. My chariots didn't get like any impact hits the whole game. I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm still sitting five guys on each objective, and I'm still I'm still doing pretty good. I still haven't pinned, but because I kept losing the move offs, I couldn't move. He actually just would scream at one chariot, uh, black dart a warrior, and then charge a warrior, kill the warrior. And he was slowly moving around my chariots. So he was actually because my chariots couldn't move, he was just moving. Even though they're on foot, and he still had four on horse, he was just moving around. And then once he got around. He started really trying to kill my warriors, and I was like, okay, I got I to gotta do something now. I got to win one roll-off. Second to last turn, on the end of combat, he broke me. And that means on the last turn, I had to take courage tests to stay on the board. And he then scattered to the winds. He was able to get the Witch King to my back objective, and he black darted one guy, and the other guy ran away. On the other objectives, he was able to get one ring wraith out there with Harbinger of Evil, and he got a, another ring wraith out with Harbinger, and he basically maximized the Harbinger of Evil. I was only minus one, but I was minus one everywhere. And then where I had where I had pinned him, I was minus three, because he still had like five ring wraiths, or or maybe it was minus two, because there was only five yeah. ring wraiths. Yeah, he had five ring wraiths on one objective, but basically my whole army ran away, and I even though I was sitting on all the objectives. They all ran away because I had to take courage tests on the very last turn, and I lost all VPs on the very last turn because I broke the, the second to last turn. Man. Yeah, so it was, it was rough. I mean, I feel like when you when you say, like, what could you have done better? I honestly, I really don't know what I could have done better. I, I, I really don't. I try, I mitigated his, the compels so that my guys weren't getting run over. Yeah, I figured, like, I wouldn't get all my chariot charges off, but I was hoping to get at least one. Um, and I, he got magic every single turn, every single turn, all eight spellcasters were able to do a spell like every single turn, all eight 
were able to do something. And I wasn't able to pin them and stop the magic. I wasn't able to do my impact hits. So it's kind of tough because you're like, well, what could I do better? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I tried to maximize my models so that if I did break, maybe some would stick around. But no, he was he was he was really smart in how he he scattered at the last turn to make sure Harbinger was covering the whole board. Uh, and then I ran away. So I took a major loss there. All right, so the only thing I could think that you could have done better is how did you decide who was more evil? He, de- I decided he was more evil. He was the Nazgul. I was just men for hire, which sometimes I fought for good. So he was right. one, two, three. So that my, was my th- suggestion would be to roll off for who gets to be more evil because then you could have gotten the benefit of all those heroic move rolls. That's true. Then yeah. I would have gotten every single one. You're right. Yes. That's yes. my fault. Yes, you're right. And then I would have been impact hitting him, and then he'll be complaining like, oh my gosh, this stupid chariots were charging every single turn. Yeah. And even if you'd lost it, you'd have at least had the benefit of getting one roll-off loss out of the way before it mattered. That's <laughs> yes. true. That is true. All uh, right. So you're right, Matt. I'm, I'm with you. That's a real bummer, man. I mean, so uh, I it's, it goes. Dice yeah, it, it's the problem with the chariots. If you don't charge, they don't do well. And I just thought, well, with the scenario, at least I had him pinned and I was sitting on the objectives, but he was able to break me. He was smart. He he tried to kill my leader the first turn of combat because he's like, okay, that's VPs. Then all of his guys hit the chariot and he goes, okay, I'm, I can't do that because I need to break him. So then he left my king and scre- had one guy scream at my king every single turn so that my king couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and then he went for the warriors and then he his, his job was, okay, I got to break this army. And so he went for the Warriors every single turn. He left the heroes alone. Yeah. The only thing, as you were walking us through that, why why did you charge or maybe were aggressive early on when he was on his back foot? Like maybe wait one more turn to get everybody off their horse? I, th- I thought about that too, but he was moving towards – so the way the board was, actually all six chariots take up most of the board. Uh, you're talking about turn two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So most of my chariots are actually spread out um, this way, and he blitzed one side. So if I would have waited another turn, he would have been in combat with this side. Got and it. I was so waiting for you had a swinging side. gate. You had a yeah, swinging had, gate to catch yeah, up. Exactly. Oh, so I what thought, I did. So what yeah, I did okay. instead was like, okay, push forward oh. now, and then that way turn three, all of, I can hit them all at once, and then Got I it. could pin him effectively holding all four objectives. That, that's what I was thinking. But maybe you're right. Maybe I should have just, you know, waited another turn, took another full turn of shooting. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's that's risky. Okay, so I, I was misunderstood. When you said the clump of trees, I was uh, I thought you meant the clump of trees that was in, like, the back corner. Because I was when I was playing on this board, there was, like, a clump of trees in the very back corner. But you were talking about the one that was more towards the middle of the board. Yes. So he was he was pressing you. Yes, uh, he did press aggressive. forward a little bit. Yeah, he pressed forward about five inches. So outside of charge range. But uh, still, like, moving towards one side. And I was like, okay, well, I want to pin him. He's going for the – he was trying to sneak around the way I thought he was. I was try, thought he was going for one of my objectives and then try to wrap around to get to my back objective. And so I, I, I was trying to pin him there and keep him there. Yeah, and your deployment options are really neutered because if you ball up or if you try to maximize your shooting lanes, then you are then subject to, like, if he gets a compel off, you could run over your entire army accidentally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and the other thing, too, is like when I did press forward, I still uh, all my chariots can still shoot. And I did move a lot of guys half. So I still got like, I don't know, like 12 to 15 shots off on turn two. But uh, mostly it was trying to get positioning and the turn two shooting didn't do much anyway. So probably because I was hitting on fives at that point. But yeah. Dang, that's unlucky. 
Yeah. Uh, it's the way it goes. It's dice. It's a dice game. But yeah, that was the one game I was like, I just need one. Just I one. I had that. I had <laughs> one. It. Just one four plus, please. <laughs> nope. And I would like to say real quick, going back, uh, not trying to discredit Victor at all. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even remember correctly if he would have been broken. Like it still was the best game I probably played in the tournament. Um, so had a great time and I lost. So real quick, just clearing yeah. that. I wasn't trying to in any way. Oh yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Not for at sure. all. And I, I actually pulled that rule up in a tournament. This is the easiest rule to mess up. It's not an FAQ. It's in the rule itself. And here's why. This is an easy one to screw up in a tournament because you're in a hurry. There's time constraints. You read until you see what you think clarifies your point. So right in that rule, it tells you right off the bat that if the marker's still on the board, they can't hold an objective, but they count as being there for determining if your force is broken. That's the first part of the rule. So you read that and you think, okay, I've read it to my opponent. That's the way it is. At the very end of the rule, it talks about if the game, I'll read it. When the game ends, a marker is in play, and the corresponding Nazgul is not on the board, that Nazgul will count as having been slain for the purposes of victory conditions. So if you're in a hurry and you read the first part, you say, yeah, it doesn't count as being broken, but he can't hold a marker. There's our answer. Let's move on. You have to read all the way down through like a bunch of other unrelated stuff at the very end see that. So I think that's probably the easiest one to mess up in a tournament, and you you think you're doing the right thing because you read it together. You just yeah. have to read the whole thing. Right. And even even if it did work out that way, now I'm thinking about it, would his force even have been broken? I can't remember. So yeah. looking back, yeah, it still was fun. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Credit to the winner. Yep. It was a draw. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Credit to the yeah, draw. They, they both get credit. They both get credit. I think that was a win on his part because he was like, I, I, he showed up and he was like, I don't know how I'm going to win this. And we ended up drawing. He's like, I'll take that as a win. <laughs> but I was just like awesome. scratching my head like, how did this happen? <laughs> they don't go away. So I, this is, I mean, we're digressing. but I. So Matt, you played Rangers of Athelion game one. Game two, that Rangers of Athelion army played the Necromancer and his Ringwraiths. And they actually ended up losing because the Rangers couldn't kill any of the of the the Nazgul. They kept coming back and they kept jumping around. Every time he would shoot one, it was like a bonus heroic move. They would just spawn six inches closer. And uh, it's a it's a tricky army. Yeah. Unless you're elves. Yeah, elven or magic wounds uh, kind of help a little. But when the necromancer is still on the board, that's still only a three plus. So. All right, so I think that's all of game. That's all of round three, right? So we are mm-hmm. on to round four. Mm-hmm. Mitchell, start us off. All right, last round. So I have uh, just got off that nine, and I was like, okay, let's let's do this. And uh, I, this was actually kind of a cool moment for the 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 to. Um, so Chad, I drew the Ents again, and I I played the Ents, and I, w- I was more than willing to, but I was like, hey, you know, I I have played them already. As there's, I like to I like to meet new people and play new armies, and he's like, yeah, no problem. So he switched it around, and I actually wound up playing um, John, which Matt played in the first round, and then I kind of was like, well, you know, never mind. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to meet him. Play, I, I think I want to go play the Ents. No, I'm just kidding. But he was running the Rangers with uh, Ithilien, so like he had 60 plus models. All all bows, and I'm like, I'm a D4 <laughs> army with chariots. So I was like, am I done? And of course, we drew a scenario, 
and it was uh, Fog of War, which is 12-inch deployments. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Never do that again. <laughs> but uh, John, John was really fun, uh, super fun guy to play against. Uh, it, we were just, we were just like in motion. We were in sync the whole game. Like we didn't, uh, we we talked like a little bit, but when the game came for, you know, when we were talking about the game, like we were on the same page. So we didn't actually have to talk about the game a whole lot or explain rules and stuff like that. I told him kind of about my army and stuff like that. But uh, Fog of War, we deploy out, kind of deploy, do my typical deploy. He actually, this is actually pretty key. He um, won the deployment roll off so he was able to pick his deployment zone and we were playing on a board with lots of towers and barns and so he chose the side which had two towers and a barn and he basically deployed uh damrod mablong and uh angborn on all all each tower plus the barn and you know when i selected my target i had selected one i was this is what when we get to what i should have done i don't select a one wound one fate hero because it's really obvious that that's <laughs> one, of, one of your targets you know he has three of them and i was like okay maybe i can fool him on which one i'm going for and then turn one he ran all three up to the top and was hiding him i was like well dang it that was kind of obvious so he deployed it was really smart on his part like hey i have these one wound one fate heroes he's probably targeting one of these guys so i'm gonna hide him and so he, they ran up to the top of the tower or top of a barn and was just shooting the whole game so i okay when i picked my uh uh, a terrain piece i picked one of the towers which was on the left side which had uh uh angborn which is who i was also targeting on that side and it also had uh madrill on that side i was like okay so not a whole lot of strength because um it, it just seemed like where i was going to do it and actually worked out deployment wise because he deployed like i said madrill and angborn on that side i was like oh that's my target too and then he deployed faramir on the other side um, with everybody else, and then Damrod was in the middle in, on this barn. So I, I, I rushed everybody forward. I didn't call a march first turn because I was like, okay, I need to figure out what he's doing with this army, and I, I march isn't going to really give me much anyways. I got to get separation from the chariots from the warriors first anyways. That way they don't foregrow their movements and stuff like that. So I, I, I didn't call it first turn. I ran out, and I got super lucky because he only killed like two guys with all those bows. It was actually quite impressive he, he tried to shoot at the chariots at first and they just kept bouncing off the he kept hitting the chariots he didn't really hit the riders and then if he'd hit the rider he'd roll the three uh and he was just super it was super lucky i didn't i lost only a, like a few guys like i said so turn two that's when i put the pressure on i called the march with one side with my chieftain and then he realized okay i'm in i'm in charge range at this point um with my chariots um and so he kind of backed up and foregoed his movement on one side to avoid the march. Uh, uh, foregoed, sorry, foregoed his shooting to avoid getting charged. So I didn't have to worry about shooting really on this side now where I was going for, for my target, both the character and the terrain piece. Uh, and I had, oh, by the way, I had selected my other king, my secondary king to be my uh, protector, um, who I protect. And that was on that side too. So literally nine VPs is on that side for me. And then on the other side, I pushed my leader king, uh, my chieftain, and I pushed hard against Faramir. And then I saw him push. He had a, a shield wall, actually, of Minas Tirith warriors for his extra points at 828. And he pushed them up with a captain. I was like, okay, so they're probably going for the objective. There was another barn on my side. I assumed that was his objective. So I kind of split my force, one side, the other side, and I was trying to defend. Turn two shooting. 
he racked off actually a few kills that turn, but not as many as I was expecting. I think because uh, a lot of his army, because they had to back up to avoid being charged because of the march, um, he lost like 20 bows uh, because of that. So he was only shooting with like 30 bows or something, like, maybe less than 30, like 20 stop, bows at stop, that point. Stop. Did you just say he was only shooting with 30 bows? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I know. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Uh, but he still racked off like seven kills. He didn't kill any chariots, though. Um, I think he gave up shooting at the chariots because he's like, okay, these things are hard to kill. Um, yeah, I might hit the rider. I might kill it. But let's go for the warrior kills at that point, which actually won him the game uh, to, to spoil it at the end. Very smart decision. Um, so he started rattling off some warrior kills. Uh, he ran, uh, uh, like I said, uh, Mablung, or it was Angborn that I was going for. He ran them up a tower, and I was like, crap, you know, I really got to kill this guy, and that tower is my uh, objective marker. And we agreed that if you run under the tower or touch the butt base of the tower, that that's controlling the terrain piece as well. So I was like, but, you know, he, my target's up there, and I, yeah, it's a one-wound guy. Maybe he can fail his fate, you know, so I was trying to take some shots at him on the way in. And then I think that gave away that that was my target, too. I was trying to be subtle, but at the same time, I need to kill this guy. And so he just kept him up there the whole game. He just said, okay, I'm going to stick, keep you up in this tower. You're not going to drop down. So when my chariots clashed in on turn three, I, I, I crashed in, and I called combats with my chieftain and my king and basically decimated that side. It was like there, I ran over uh, Madril crushed him i ran over like multiple warriors um and there was only like a handful left but most of them were up in the tower and then on the right side i crashed my other king and a charioteer in and called combat with my king and my king ran over like 12 guys that turn it was ridiculous he was just running people over left and right and his uh, shield wall guys that were running towards the barn got there. And I crashed my other chieftain in, and I crashed uh, a bunch of warriors and horsemen in to try to contest it. He was still rattling off a lot of shots. And this is where it came down, because there was only like four or five turns to this game. The way the shooting was and the way the chariots move, it took a lot of time. There wasn't a whole lot of turns. So by the time I had finally engaged in combat, killed all the guys over there, engaged my king... Uh, over where Faramir was and killed a lot of guys over there, he actually broke me because of the shooting. And so he broke me. So now we're rolling to see if the game ends. Plus, we're coming up on time. And I tried everything I could to try to contest um, the uh, terrain piece because I just needed more models. And so the, he kind of bundled up again on that terrain piece, and I engaged in combat. He had one guy left, basically, that was on the base, but he had like three guys up on top. I had four guys. So – or. Yeah, three guys up atop, one down on the base, and I had four guys. So I engaged my four guys onto his guys on the bottom, and I had one horseman that took a, took a shot at Angborn at the top, failed the shot. I failed like four shots. I was taking shots every turn, failed them. The combat that happened – so he broke me that turn. The combat that happened on my terrain piece that I was trying to get, I lost the combat. Four guys on one guy. And so he backed them off, I, but it was a 4-4 tie, so I didn't get any points for that terrain piece because he was four guys on my four guys. On the combats to, for his terrain piece, he actually – he I, I ran a couple guys away, but I also lost the combat to make it a tie for him. So he backed my guy off and killed him, and so he had outnumbered me 3-2 to two on his terrain piece, so he got points for that one. And then my chieftain had charged his fight for captain – 
lost the combat. The captain was able to strike the chieftain, and he uh, put two wounds on him, which uh, mm. I think I had taken a shot earlier, and I'd used my fate point because I don't remember able to roll a fate point. But he put two wounds on my chieftain, and my chieftain died, and he goes, that was my target. And so his fight for captain killed my chieftain, mm. uh, and then uh, I was – so he had 63 models. I needed to kill 32 to break him. I killed 29 in two turns of combat, or maybe it was three, but it was like Oof. not very much. I killed 29. So in the end, at, like I, everything was going okay. I needed one more turn, really. And um, he, he, it was great play on him because, like I said, him shooting my warriors and breaking me as fast as he did won him the game. Because once my chariots got into combat, I was just rolling him, and I was rolling over everything. And because he was able to kill my chieftain on that last turn, he was able to win the combat to back me off his train piece. And he was able to win the combat to back me off my train piece. Uh, I lost nine to nothing. I didn't get any points. Whereas I think the way I'd been looking at it is if I could play one more turn, I think it would have been nine, three to me for another turn or something like that. But really well played by him. He was brilliant. He used his, his bows very effectively. My chariots, once they got into combat, they were just rolling. And I thought it was brilliant of him to just, okay, well, I'll just run up the towers because these are your only three of, of train pieces that you can capture. So I'll just occupy all three on top and make you try to climb up and fight me or shoot, try to shoot me down. And I wasn't able to shoot him down. I tried. Um, I just – it was what really well played by him. Nice. You know, how do you think – Here's my biggest – I have a question for you, but a statement. Oh, I got three points. Sorry, I did protect my guy. So it would have been like 9-3 the opposite way. But sorry, nine go ahead. Okay. So my statement and then a question. My biggest problem with the Rangers of Athelian list in tournament play is how long it takes to resolve 60-plus shots every turn. Yes. And even if you have an opponent that's really good and judicious, if you do shooting right, that takes forever. So how many rounds of combat do you think – or how many turns – did you lose because of resolving all those shots? Yeah, I think I did need one more turn. Yeah, you're right. I think at most we had three rounds of combat, three turns of combat. I think it was two because it feels like three because of all the hero combats I called to run in over a, as many guys as possible. In a but, two and a half hour event. That that's right there is my biggest problem with that list is just how long it takes to systematically resolve. I think I wonder if as they become more prominent, and I say more prominent, okay, on the West Coast, we never see Rangers of Athelion. It's not a popular uh, army. I think it's because the typical point matches we play are outside the comfort zone. I know they just got two new heroes, so maybe that'll change slightly. But um, there are so many etiquette protocols for playing horde armies because horde armies are popular and people have the same gripe about horde armies. You just took 20 minutes to move your Goblin Town horde of 200 models are you kidding me and so i feel like all of those battles and all of those frustrations have already kind of run their course and we've implemented movement guide trails rails. yeah movement trays go faster be better about keeping track of your kill count like all of these all of these frustrations with horde armies have been vetted but ranges of athelion is relatively new for larger point battles yeah and yeah, very few you, tournaments have timers on the shooting round yeah uh, and and if you think about it too, yeah. So let's say I think it. Let's say three rounds of combat, three turns of combat plus two turns of moving to get to combat. That's 
five turns in 828 two, two and a half hours. That's five turns, maybe six. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say I'm I'm forgetting a turn. Six turns in a two and a half hour game is is really rough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think that definitely hurts you. Ah, it's all good. I think it was brilliant played by him. I have no gripe whatsoever by him, what what John did. I thought it, it was brilliant. He ran his guy up. Is that a legendary legion? It is. Yeah, yeah, it's a legendary legion. It's basically uh, all of all of Faramir's rangers, no bow limit, max yeah. bows. It's crazy. Yeah, it's recreating had, the scene Myers where they shoot the Mumox, they ambush him. So yeah. you could take all those models. Yeah, I think it's like forty-five plus bows or something. Now I think it gets up to something higher. I can't remember what it is, but it's a crazy amount of bows. Um, sixty plus models. He had sixty-three models in that list. Um, but yeah, it was brilliant by him. I think what I should have done differently, if we go to direct it differently, number one, uh, don't pick a one wound, one fate hero. I wish I just picked Madril because he's fight four, two wounds, one fate, and he's D five. Uh, but I felt like that was my mistake going for, yeah, he had three, one wound, one fate heroes, but I feel like that was still too obvious because it was easy for him to be like, okay, all by one wound, one fate heroes, you're hiding for the whole game. And that eliminated three points right off the bat for me. And so I feel like I should have picked Madril. It's less obvious, but more plausible to get to him because Madril's a three might hero. He needs them for heroic moves. He's going to be in combat. He's going to be in the fray. So that's what I should have done. Um, number one. Uh, number two, I should have just um, – I sent too many guys, I think, to the objective I was trying to take and kill his hero when I should have diverted a lot of my forces to making sure he didn't get his terrain piece because in the end, he he was able to outnumber me on his terrain piece and win that. So little things there, and I should have been more conscious of who he is probably targeting. Um, I, I, I didn't feel threatened. Honestly, I didn't take his captain seriously, and I should have. And so even though it was two dice versus two dice, um, he won the combat. He hit my captain, and he de- dealt two wounds to him. He was able to punch my captain off. And so that, that cost me three BPs as well. So losing my chieftain. Well, anyway, well played. Good, good, good bad rep. Myers, you want to go next? Game four, last round? Yeah, um... I played against Joe. I don't remember his last name, but he had a brother that was there. Um, he was playing against Legendary Legion of Rohan. And so he had his whole force was on cavalry. Was it the Riders of Theoden? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because he went over his uh, – he was he was a really, you know, really professional, you know, attitude. Went over all the rules and everything. He'd been playing for a while, and he's like, yeah, my brother plays – Erebor all the time, so I've I've played this army a few times, and then he went over his death rule, and I should have listened to that a little bit more. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we were playing Fog of War. Uh, he had I think seven or eight heroes, and so I just chose Aowen because I figured she was he she had Aowen with Mary. I think that's one it's a specific name for the model, but uh, Durnholm, I think. Durnholm. Yep, Durnholm. And so I had her as the target, and then I just figured since I was dwarves, I was going to have to create a bubble, so I chose the most middle, central located uh, terrain piece, and then I was protecting um, Thrain, because I'm always going to use Dane as a, you know, wrecking ball, so I didn't want to have to worry about trying to hide him. And so uh, he, right off the bat, split off. He had his, it was a 12-inch movement, so he had bows, so I was trying to get up into combat. 
he did a standoff for three turns where he wouldn't move. So I had to come to him. And then he sent like six or seven riders out to different pieces of terrain. And I think that was just to confuse where his terrain piece was. So he was holding down like six different pieces. And then also he was, wasn't worried about the dwarves. But uh, yeah, he had two turns where he didn't move. I was charging up. He shot. His bows were doing really well. He was killing like three or four dwarves in shoot phase. And then he had the last movement where he did a three-inch movement, or he did a half movement backwards, kind of like what you had with your Rangers of Athelion. And so I realized I was within charging, so I said, all right, I'll take one charge from you because I have two ranks protecting my heroes, and then we'll just we'll hash this out. And then he did uh, had all of his heroes front-loaded, front and then he called his death. So all of everybody got a plus one to strength, I think, and plus one to fight. And then all of his heroes, or I, I might be wrong on that rule. I know it's a plus one to the strength, but uh, basically all of his heroes called a hero combat. So he had, uh, in the first phase of combat, I think he used 12 might. And they were on combats and winning the fights and killing people. So, um, yeah, he had a butt ton of might and he basically charged through i had two fronts because i had my my line was in two different um two fronts with the piece of terrain split in the middle with dane ironfoot on the right and then throw and terrain on the left and this time i had done my guardian to the king on the front rank and the iron hills on the second rank and then he charged in with cavalry combated with almost everybody and he killed, I think, 16, 16 dwarves in that first combat. And so first first fight phase, I was broken. He broke through my first rank and second rank. And then the second phase, I was pretty much trying to just minimize the casualties, like treat the treat the tri- or triage the <laughs> mass cal at that point. So it's I, bleeding. I it's bleeding. Yeah, it was just a mass cal. So I was trying to, like, bring everybody into the circle, try to, like, get Dane up, and then, because our uh, Thror was prone, Thrain was prone, um, I burned through a lot of might, just trying to keep them alive and not get them wounded. Um, he ended up, it, like, the game was over very quickly. I think two more combats after that, and he rolled, and then the game was over. So, he ended up, I did end up killing Eowyn, so I got, I assassinated his target. Um, he had I think I got one point for holding a piece of terrain, but he was also in base contact, so it was just one point for that. So I ended up having three points. Um, he ended up breaking my force, um, controlling the piece of terrain, and then also killing his target, which I think was Thrain. And so he ended up major victory, 8-3. So quick battle. Mm-hmm. That death march just totally you know, bent me over. But... Yeah. Death is a horrible, horrible special rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think did you tell him at the end, be like, why did you put an asterisk after you told me about this rule? Why was there no highlight? Why was there no... <laughs> Definitely, there should have been lots of circles on this rule. <laughs> no, yeah, he went over it clearly. I think it was just the fourth game in the day. I was like, okay, let's go. I was thinking already into the game about... I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and yeah, so... He definitely played that, and he said he'd played against Erebor with his brother, so he kind of had a strategy, but very well done on his part. Um, and, yeah, he, he schooled me. 
So you are two one and one in your first ever tournament. Yes, yeah, two two major victories and, and a major loss. And we should have found out that it should be three wins, so, one loss. Before yeah. I say that though, because I, I I don't remember correctly, it could have been how many guys were dead. Yeah, oh, okay. I don't remember how many were dead, so I I'm just not gonna think what if. I'll just stick with the two wins, one draw, and one major loss. Still very impressive showing, Myers. Well done. Yep, well done. I'm not sure which is more impressive, the two wins or the fact that you managed to avoid the super shooty armies all day. <laughs> well, he well, had D8, Rohan, so... <laughs> I did face the Rohan. They were, he had a lot of bows. And then his oh, that's true. So. That's true. Okay, so I'll take that back. Yeah, because his... I mean, dwarves usually are good. I'm fine with a shooting army. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then he was rolling like sixes, six fours, whatever he needed. I was like, oh my goodness. He's like, I promise these dice aren't loaded. And I was like, no, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> Uh, but it was good. Very cool. I, I'm going to take that Legendary Legion one time just so I can do the classic wait till it's time to call it and then scream death and try and like scare my opponent into thinking I'm either a psychopath <laughs> or something. <Yes>. <laughs> like walk up, hey, excuse me, I need to measure this. He's trying to make the, the, the most important role of his life. <laughs> so he's really like, roll a fuck and then you scream at him. <laughs> yes. All right. Yep. Awesome. I can go next. So this nope, is you're you're playing championship. You have to go last. Yep. Your top table. Okay. Matt, you're next then. All right. So uh, we've already said the scenarios: fog of war, twelve inch deployment, drum roll. I played Rangers of Athelion. Hey! <laughs> hey! Okay. So as as we talk through this, um, this was my favorite game of the tournament. Um, so we're, we're on a farmland type board set up very wide open on my side. I had a building and a Rocky mound piece of terrain. Uh, so my opponent basically had two choices right in the middle of the board. There's a building and on my opponent's side, there's a tower and like three or four hay bales. I lost deployment. So, uh, I lost a board edge roll so he got, he chose the side that had uh, all the different hay bale pieces and one tower on the my far right side of the board so before any models were picked i was trying to decide okay which terrain piece am i going to go after there was two uh and and when i say hay bales they're the kind of terrain pieces that are elevated slightly and we decided that all of the elevation around the hay bales counts as that terrain piece so, okay, I had two op- three options. I could either choose the tower on the far right or one of the hay bales. So I picked the, the left center hay bale terrain piece, and I selected Damrod as the hero I wanted to kill. So he starts deploying first. He puts Damrod on the far right side, was his first warband to deploy. So as I'm thinking through this, remember I've got one big building in the middle of the board, and everything else is wide open. After my traumatic experience last time, I deployed 61 models in a giant death ball. I mean, literally, there was no block formation. It was a round ball. And I had my captain behind all my arbalesters. I had 11 arbalesters, and the captain had a crossbow. Uh, I deployed him up front with one line of protection, the bosun right behind him, and this, this huge ball. You've probably got that. And so... He had all of his army deployed in a straight 
right across the board. He had, I think, 62 models, and he just took up the entire length of the board. Now, his army, I should give you a little more detail, and then I'll tell you about who I was choosing to protect. Uh, he had, I think it was 48 total rangers. He had Damrod. He had the Angborn and Mal Malbung. He had, uh, who's the other uh, ranger hero that has three might? Uh, Madril. Yeah, no, Madril's the the easy to kill one. It's is it uh, Angborn, Madril, Damrod, Mablung. Uh, Kyrian has the shield, but I don't think he's in that legendary yeah. legion. There's another. There's another hero. I've got to think through this. Madril, Angborn, Mablung, Damrod, Faramir. Did he have the white? Oh hair? yeah, Mitchell, you're right. It was Madril is the good one. Damrod was the one I was trying to assassinate. The the basically one Mike guy. So you okay. are correct. Okay. Okay, so I was trying to assassinate Damrod. He had all the ranger captains. Um, and he, in addition to all the rangers, he had a mounted Minas Tirith captain with lance. He had Faramir mounted with lance and all kitted out. Uh, a banner and a few other contingent of Minas Tirith warriors. But as much shooting as he could get into it. So, so it was uh, the other ranger of Athelion, not the same guy you played. Yeah, it was the other one. Um, okay, so my strategy, I'm thinking, okay, so the hero I want to kill is on the far right side. The terrain piece I want to capture is on the left side of center. I'm going to deploy in a death ball so I can use all my marches to get across the field. What I'll do is I will go all out. Here's my thought. I'm going to go all out towards the right side of the board, make him think that my terrain piece is the tower, and scare him into trying to surround my Corsairs and engage and I'm just going to abandon my backline objectives. Because he's got horses anyways, I'm not going to play that game. And I'll probably get lucky and get a few pot shots to dismount his horses. So I used both of the captain's points of might to march. He had two rounds of, I will say, not that effective shooting against D4. Um, he killed, I, I can't remember, but let's say he was averaging five to six kills per turn, which was surprisingly low. But keep in mind, I had my Arbalesters out front. I was sacrificing my first two rounds of shooting in order to have that D6 shield wall up front. And I also had six uh, Black Numenorians, so they're D6 as well, using them as the shield in the front. Uh, Captain's two points of mites are up. I used my Bosun's point of might for the third march, and I effectively kept probably two-thirds of my army in the marches on the last march, my arbalesters stopped moving and took up shooting positions. So I think by that round, I'd lost probably, let's say, somewhere around 15 models. At the end of my march, my death ball spread out on the end of the last turn and got a round of throwing weapons off. I equaled all I remember. I might mess up that he'd killed 15 models. However many he'd killed. I equaled his tally in my throwing weapons at the end of that last one with the guys hitting on fives. Wow. Holy cow. So I'm like, yeah, we got a game, baby. <laughs> so uh, the <laughs> next Screw turn, that 12-inch deployment. Yeah. <laughs> Take that. Now, imagine as we're spreading out, my problem is, is I'm three deep on my ranks because of the death ball. So I'm trying to spread out and get rid of my three deep rank. And I'm going after Madril by the tower. He took his line and his middle to right side of board, he left in place in a, in a classic battle stance. My left side of the board, he collapsed that flank in, creating an L-shape around me. And on that side, he had Faramir, Madril, and his captain. 
So I engaged everything straight on. I won the next priority. I charged, got a few more throwing weapon kills, but not a lot. Uh, I charge in. And then my left side, I tried to kind of create another little L to match his incoming wave. I had all my reavers on that left left side in the L pattern, ready to intercept his charge. So round four, first round of real combat. Um, I killed Damrod, my target. I was protecting my captain. I don't think I told you guys that, but my captain's out of might with the mark boost. But my captain's positioned in the middle. Uh, Dalamir and Delgamar are into combat right where I wanted them. Uh, now, the next turn, his L shape on my left side collapsed onto my Reavers. My Reavers did surprisingly poor in this outing. For some reason, they just didn't have a great showing. Faramir and the captain killed a couple of them. They got a couple kills. Um, and so turn four is over. I'm actually in better shape than he is, but he's got horses, and I know that he's probably going to have an opportunity to get to my backside objective. So turn four in the combats, the piece that I didn't tell you is I dropped my arbalesters back so they would have a gun line opportunity to protect back objectives if he started marching. Uh, and then would have ability to just kind of intercept anything in the middle. The battle on the right side went heavily in my favor, and I began collapsing that right side battle line, pushing towards my objective. He called a series of heroic combats with Faramir and his captain, of which I thought the odds were in my favor because I had enough people up against him that I didn't think the combats would go off. Both went off. And he was able to break through my line and get into my captain. He did a wound to my captain, who was the target I was protecting, but didn't kill him. The next, uh, so now he's, imagine that Faramir and his captain are basically all alone in the middle against my captain. And a whole bunch of guys that are not there. And he breaks off his Warriors of Minas Tirith in a shield wall formation going towards my side of the board. And I only had one piece of terrain that he could be going after. But with the shield wall, it was actually pretty hard for my arbalesters to kill him. And they marched all the way back, got onto my side of the board. Uh, now the rest, I'll mess up the details so I won't try and get into it. But we had two rounds of very even combat. I broke him. He broke me. And then the game ended right as he got onto his terrain piece on my side of the board that he wanted. Uh. So the way it worked out, it was, it was a very close game. He outmaneuvered me. So he won. He deserved to win. It was a 10, five loss for me. I killed my target. I protected my hero, but he took a wound. So I only got one point for that. I was, I probably needed another turn to get more models on my terrain piece than he had. Um, so I got zero for that. He got his terrain piece. We were both broken, so we got points for that. And there's no leader kills in that scenario. So the the score sounds like a blowout, but it was actually pretty evenly matched. Um, as I think back through, I, I think what I should have done is used my black Numenorians as the shield wall up front and left my Arbalesters on the backside to protect him from coming around because even if they charged, my Arbalesters are fight for, 
his Warriors of Minas Tirith or Fight 3. That goes in my favor, I think. I'd have had a bunch of shots on the way. Um, so I should have done a better job protecting myself. And I should have, well, I mean, picking my scenario piece, you do that before any deployment. So luck wasn't in my favor where he put my target. So perhaps have gone more towards my terrain piece right off the bat. And then knowing the way the points break out, it's better to commit to that and then see if I can wind up killing Damrod somehow on the end. But it was actually a pretty close game. Got outmaneuvered. 10-5 loss. A lot of fun. Hey, at least at least you had a chance to actually kind of flush out the game against a huge army of rangers on a 12-inch yeah. deployment. Yeah. yeah. And you and you kept it close. And actually um thinking about my score, I think I was 12-3 because I I was also uh he was protecting the guy that was close to my leader king. I didn't say that, but he got points for that. So, kind of similar to you Matt, sounds like a blowout, but actually it was a really close game, really fun game, but um yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah. So uh, the last time I'll say it, four games, a low defense army that usually wins every shooting battle, and I played two games against the Rangers of Athelion on a 12-inch <laughs> deployment. This was not my tournament. So I was two and two. Um, so not my best, not my best showing for sure. I let the Duran show down, and I tarnished our reputation. Hey, wait a <laughs> second. You weren't even the worst. <laughs> I was one and three. <laughs> What do you think about like playing rangers at the lowest and at the highest points? So the the argument that I've heard is rangers are unbeatable at low point the low point levels. Um, do you buy into that? Do you think that's real or? I, I think with corsairs, I don't know how I I don't know how I could have possibly done anything but tie that first game with that scenario. I I just don't see any path to winning for me. Uh, but if, if you take a usual army build out, I mean, Corsairs is new. This is, I, I haven't played them that much. Um, if I bring my dwarves, uh, Rangers don't scare me low points. Um, but in that scenario with my army unbeatable, my biggest gripe at the higher end, and I'll, I'll say this guy I was playing was actually very efficient with his shooting rolling. He did it quickly. He did it fairly. There was never any doubt. He was doing line of sight. But my biggest complaint is how much time it takes in the shooting round. Uh, now, the only thing that would have done for me is give me time to get on my terrain piece. Uh, there's no points for quartering, I don't believe. So that wouldn't have gotten me anything else. But So I'd have gotten points for my terrain piece, but I don't think I would have won that game. Rangers at high points... It just when when you're out shooting Corsairs and Corsairs are giving up their crossbow shots to get across the board and using all their might to march they're already low on might the thing i forgot because i was going quick is using up all that might i couldn't heroic move so i lost a lot of opportunities for reavers to pass their or fail their courage test get their charge um, i wasn't able to get a lot of traps because he had more might than me and was moving around me i, I think rangers against corsairs it takes away corsairs method of playing it's just a bad army matchup and for me, I was I was kind of thinking the same thing, just because the amount of time. I like, I mean, we it was a great game. I actually probably my favorite game of the day, um, and I I love playing with John. But yeah, just one more turn, I felt like would have done me well because then I could at least broken him. Maybe I could have killed the target. There's a lot of maybes and what ifs, but I feel like that's every game. So I don't know how it will do against every army, 
um, if he's not facing a D4 army, maybe he wouldn't break me. But then again, maybe I wouldn't have slaughtered 29 guys in two turns of combat. You know, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of what ifs, but I felt like it was a good game. It definitely ate up a lot of time to shoot, which is interesting. But and then plus my chariots movement, they take up time too, just the way they play. So there was a lot of time eaten up that way. It wasn't all just the shooting. Yeah. And I'll just add one other thing. At Nova was the only other time I played Rangers, and I had Azog's Legion, Legion at 800 points, and it was a bloodbath. I just destroyed them. I mean, he had one turn of shooting at the beginning that was scary, and then after that I used terrain and marches, and I just decimated that army. So yeah. I, I think it's higher points that are at a disadvantage. Lower points, the odds are in their favor, man. Yeah. I like it. All right, last one. Um so yeah, top table. We played a lot of shooting armies. I got a combination of shooting armies. Um and it was a matchup I'd actually never faced before. I, I had to think about this afterwards. I played the game for a few years and I have never faced off against the betrayer from Harad on Felbeast. So I was going up against a Harad Umbar alliance. Uh Soladin was the leader. The Betrayer on Felbeast was the major support hero. Raza was in the list. And then he allied in. It was a bosun from Umbar with eight Reavers and 12 uh, Arbalesters. He had a huge army. Not a, not a ton of elite troops. Not a lot of uh, African guards. He had a few Watchers of Karna. But really the bulk, he was, again, he was up over 60 models. I think it was like 61 and it was 38 to 40. Nope, I'm messing this up. He had over 45 um, Harad troops, and then the rest came from Umbar. So however the math worked on that. Fog of War, we already talked about that. What was our board? So our board was uh, kind of like a sawmill, foresty sawmill. And what was cool, it was another water feature, which was awesome because, again, I'm playing a lot of Army of the Dead. We walk across water. There... On one side, there was some more open uh, sawmill. I'm trying to think of what they would be called. They were like buildings, but there was no walls. They were like two-story buildings, almost looked like water towers. So you could walk underneath them, uh, but the top was covered. So there was a lot of that on one side of the board. And on the other side of the board, there were a lot of larger uh, buildings, like mill-type buildings. So I got the palisades, those ones that have like four pillars of spot to stand on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what they were. Okay. Thanks. Um, well, and, and it, the weird thing was most of the most of these palisades, they actually didn't have an opportunity to deploy or to stand because there's no ladder to climb up, and they were completely covered with no windows. So you could take the top off of the terrain and and put people there, but they wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, and then the other side of the board was all sawmill, industrial building. Um, and there was a river from that that side of the board, fairly large river, going to a deep water lake, which was ruled a deep water lake at the start of the, the tournament, um, in the very middle of the board. So when I got to the win on the deployment, I thought for sure I want to deploy on that side because I'll be able to walk up the river. And then the lake was slightly more on his side of the board. So it was like, sweet. Well, it'll be a huge part of the board. It was probably eight to 10 inches wide, this lake in, um, in diameter. And so it would be a huge part of the board where I would be able to cross that no problem, but he would be having to fight around it because you don't want to swim. 
So that's where we deployed. I deployed kind of in a death ball just to try and maximize the amount of marches that I'd be able to utilize. He deployed in just a straight gun line. Uh, Max Harad bows. He had he had a ton of them. Um, he had the eight or he had the four arbalesters and the betrayer. So this is where uh, I'll I'll start kind of laying out some of the tactical things that happened at the very beginning of the game. One, I selected the betrayer on Felbeast as my target to assassinate. Now. Everybody listening is probably like, that's the dumbest idea you could do. Well, I've never played against a Betrayer, so I didn't really understand how differently the Betrayer on Felbeast plays when you compare it to any other Ringwraith on Felbeast. When I was in my mind, I was thinking the, the Bosun's going to be very passive because you don't want to keep the Reavers be effective. Soladin doesn't matter because he's the leader. And Raza has the special strike where he would go up to or he'd go up to plus two fight value if he magically fights the target. And he's got three might with strike. So I thought the fell beast would be potentially the easiest target. Maybe I could catch him in an aggressive play where he overextends and I can use my might to combat and swarm. And my ghosts are almost fearless, just being courage six down to courage five. So plus, in my mind... Oh, yeah, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to add to that. You're attacking courage, so the defense of the fell beast doesn't matter, and you also have the insta death from the king of the dead. So if you do yeah. hit the fell beast, you're one punching that. You're knocking him on the ground. He's prone. He's easy. One wound, two fate. Yeah, I can see that. And I have, and on that point, the fell the the ring wraith becomes defense six because he goes from courage seven to no, he becomes defense five because he's base courage six, With and Harbinger. the king of the dead has harbinger of evil. So all of my warriors are wounding the fell beast on either fours or wounding the ring rate on fives with one wound. So yeah. I, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is like, if I could catch him on one turn being overextended, this will be good. So uh, that was that. The second part is I told you there were a lot of these palisade. There was a, there was a well that was just a, on his side of the board in the smack dab middle of the board and another six inches or maybe seven inches past that was a palisade. So these were two um, eligible terrain pieces I could have picked for my uh, terrain piece. I decided to go with the well when, if you would have looked at how the things deployed, he deployed in a gun line right on that 12-inch line. So in in looking back, like you, I picked a piece that I would have had to knowingly run past. Because he's gonna, he would obviously sit back and shoot and try to maximize his shots, uh, and it was just kind of a, a misplay on my part. Because if I would have just looked six inches or seven inches further, there's still another easy terrain piece to grab. I would have had to have been running for it aggressively anyways, and it would have been within the striking distance of that 12 inch that back line. So that was unfortunate. Um, so yeah, I opted for the well, and then I opted uh, to protect. The King of the Dead. So I had I had two options. It was either the protect the Herald or protect the King. I went with the King. He's D8 with three fate. So I thought that would be the way to go. Uh, okay, so we started the game. Uh, first turn, obviously, I marched forward, maximized my movement. And then he starts shooting. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many shots he had. Similar to what you guys were saying, there were so many unique shots he was trying to take. It ended up being a very long duration for that shoot phase. He didn't kill anybody. 
Um, he was doing the poison with the betrayer, but again, the Harad bows against the D8 of the Army of the Dead, just it wasn't working out for him very well. So I second turn, I got to march up again. So now I'm past that midpoint of the board. I'm past my objective. And so I know at this point, I've realized I kind of messed up. I know I'm going to have to run past my objective and then time it to make sure I can run backwards to the well to make sure I can hold the objective at the end of the game. So turn two, my pass it. He shoots again. I don't even think he kills anybody that turn. Maybe he does. Maybe he kills one guy. I can't remember. No, this is, I'm sorry. Uh, this was the turn. He sh- he spent a lot of shots at the King of the Dead. The King of the Dead, I I wasn't thinking. I misplayed. I only left one Warrior of the Dead in front of the King. So he took a ton of in the ways. He had a few shots go through, and he got the wound on the King of the Dead. And I had to burn a couple fate. I think it was two or three fate because I kept messing up my fate roll uh, just to keep the King of the Dead alive because that's my target. I don't want him to be wounded. And so that was like, oh, my goodness, that could have been bad. So that's the end of turn two. Still not a ton of uh, effectiveness from his shooting, even with the poison. Turn three. Now we're in charge range. Uh, the My formation, I was kind of in like an arrowhead. Aragorn and the king were the tip of my arrowhead. My plan was to just cannonball into his line. He had a warhorn in his army build. I didn't call this out. So... That's critical, not only for his courage test to charge me, but also for my trying to wound him. So the Warhorn negated the King of the Dead's Harbinger of Evil. And then um, he had probably three or four Watchers of Karna, which have the plus two courage, I think, when charging uh, terrifying enemies or spirit heroes. I can't remember which it is. So I knew that there was going to be a lot of successful charges. I knew my terror wasn't going to be that much of a, a... a bonus to me this game so again i was thinking okay i'm just gonna spearhead i'm gonna cannonball into the line i'm gonna the way he deployed the part of the line that i was trying to attack was pretty thin so it was going to be fairly realistic to break through that line and if i would be able to do so i would be one heroic mo- move roll away from being able to charge aragorn and the king into the betrayer so okay that was a pretty sweet that was a pretty sweet possibility I bit, I went for it. Um, spearhead engaged. He kind of just closed around the rest of the spearhead. So we had combat scattered here and there. Nothing too crazy. But what um, what I screwed up in retrospect was when Aragorn the King went forward to initiate this cannonball launch, they took two spear support warriors with them. So they were both supported. And the Herald stayed within three inches of the king behind him so I could benefit from his will. But the two spear support were kind of blocking my path to come back to the herald. And what my opponent did was he charged Raza, so there was a gap, so he char- he took away some control zones, and he charged Raza through that gap to my herald. And I wasn't able to, even with the idea of heroic combating, there was no potential for me to heroic combat and come back because my own guys were blocking me out. So it was, it was a a really bad play on my part. He took advantage of it. He sees the opportunity. So we go through that. So this is turn three. We're in combats. Uh, Aragorn, the king, call combats. Aragorn goes first, and I screw up the combat. Can't kill both guys. And it's not even something to where I could blow all my resources to kill both guys. And because of how I charged, Aragorn is actually blocking the King of the Dead. So the King of the Dead did get his combat off. He was able to kill. 
but he was totally trapped by my own army. So both both those first two two fights, it was like, well, that went that went poorly. The rest of the combats kind of bland in this turn. Um, poison was awesome for his warriors. His warriors were utilizing poison in combat. I never thought about poison being a melee um, boost. He did convert quite a few into kills, so that was good for him. The big thing at the very end of round three, though, is Raza didn't str- did he strike? I don't think he did. So the herald wasn't even his target, but Raza won the combat against all of I, I charged with three or four other warriors to trap Raza. He won the combat, so he must have struck. So that was one point of might. And then for wounding, he put everything at the herald. And he rolled two fives with after his Bane of Kings. He used both of his remaining points of might to turn those into sixes, which equals wounds on the Herald. And the Herald failed both his fate. And so the Herald died um, with two will left because I had burned one of his will for the King's combat. And that ended up being his target at the end of the game. I found that out. So he assassinated his target in a one punch. And I had totally boxed him in, boxed him in and, and it was yeah, it was just unfortunate. So then the start of the fourth turn, and this, again, Mitchell, similar to your combat, I could be forgetting a turn in here, but as far as I can recollect, this was the last turn of the game. Um, very slow pace, lots of shooting, lots of moves. The moves were uh, very meticulous. There's lots of tests. There's lots of um, positioning. Again, this lake is sitting on the side, so there was a lot of uh, formation adjustments. Um Aragorn, so the start of the turn for after, I can't remember who won priority, but obviously went to a move off. Uh, Soladin won the move off, so I wasn't able to um, anyway sneak around to the Felby. So the Betrayer was protected. At this point, I knew this was going to be the last round because either time was called or time was about to be called. Uh, Aragorn got charged directly by Soladin. The king, I think, got charged by a warrior or two, and then our lines clashed. And at this point, I realized I needed to get back to my objective, so I pulled. It was either like a cavalry model and maybe a few warriors. I ran them back to the well, trying to be strategic in the fact that I had really played aggressively. My opponent thought that Palisade was my objective piece. And so when I went back to the well, I, I was almost t- keeping up the facade that I was trying to build a shield wall, prevent him from flanking around and collapsing my, my flank. So got on my objective. And then um, he had an amazing turn again, converting a lot of these poison abilities. He killed a ton of guys uh, per, per combat. I wouldn't say it's like every other combat he was winning. And because he had just enough elite troops in, he was like three, you know, three to twos, four to twos with one of his guys being fight four. So he had the fight by advantage. He converted that really well. The African guards were deadly because they had plus one to wound, rerolling all poison wounds with his normal warriors. So he had a pretty successful turn there. But what was key was um, Raza was he was in my almost back line. I got the trap on him because I said, well, maybe he was trying to protect him or maybe there'd be points here. He wasn't my target, but I lost the combat there, so I couldn't try to kill him. The king won his combat, blew his last point of might for combat, killed a couple other random warriors, couldn't really be effective. 
Aragorn and, and Soladin, with a ton of help, went into a strike-off. Uh, Aragorn didn't get as high of a strike as Soladin, so Soladin, with a charge bonus, knocked him over, and everybody just gang-tackled Aragorn. So Aragorn died in one turn, just got obliterated. And then, yeah, I want to say, like, the rest of the rest of the combats were... It definitely favored him from a kill perspective, but not not dramatically to the point where I wasn't killed. Like I wasn't getting killed. I was getting my fair share. Um, so, anyways, yeah. So that's turn four. And again, maybe I missed maybe I missed a turn somewhere. So maybe this was turn five potentially. So time is called. Sure enough. So we come down to okay. So how does this stack up? Neither of us were broken. I think I had lost a handful of guys. He had lost a handful of guys. So no points for being broken. He had run some of his – so some of his elite troops were cavalry uh, serpent riders. He had run a serpent rider to an objective piece on his board, so he captured it. I had the well, so then we were 3-3 there. We both had our objective piece. He was trying to snipe the herald. He did snipe him, so that's three more victory points to him. So that's 6-3. I was trying to protect the king. And the king didn't take any wounds, so that's three points for myself. And he was trying to protect the betrayer, and the betrayer didn't take any wounds. So that was three to him. So the final score ended up being nine to six victory for Harab. So it was it was a good it was a good game. It was so frustrating because again, you think about all these things at the end, it's like all these little things, maybe if I would have done differently or if I would have approached it slightly differently, maybe there's a way I could have uh, avoided positioning for sure. If I would have been playing smarter, I, I would have protected the Herald better. Um, I just it, a slip of the mind wasn't paying attention to where my heroes were on the board. And he ran a guy right under that. He ran Raza right under that palisade to get the charge on the Herald and, and uh, executed that. And I think, I think if I would have been playing my best game, I, I definitely see that coming away as a draw, but unfortunately it was not my best game, and he took advantage of it, so I lost six nine. So. Mm, that's rough. I I know what it's like to lose top table final round. <laughs> <laughs> touche, uh, touche. Yeah. yeah, it was such a bummer too, because yeah. some strong games. Both of us had strong games, and if I could have, I think when I was looking at the leaderboard, even if I would have drawn, I I still would have gotten number one, because mm. we were the only people with. Oh. I think three major victories going into the final round. Oh, that's and I so would have had the head to head matchup against Because you Tensa. had the VPs. You had the VPs over him. Yeah. So if I, you well, draw. Isn't it, isn't it a head to head matchup? If you guys are the same wins, it's head to head matchup, then it goes to VPs. But if you're drawn, points, you're saying if you drawn, wouldn't that have. Oh, you're drawn? right. I'm sorry. No, I had the head to head because the other guy was the Ranger. The, okay. the Rangers of Athelia. So you're yeah. right. I would I had more tournament points than him because he beat me by one. Okay. But he got three and I only got one the last round because I took the minor loss. Ah, uh, so if you took a two-two, you would have beaten him by one. Yeah. Ah. Uh, so so close, so close, but not uh, close that's rough. Well, good job getting the top table. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was it was fun. The Ghosty Boys they did well. They they uh their D8. And their terror. I realize why they're such a popular army. <laughs> they're fun to play. They move quick. Aragorn marches quick, and uh, you just kind of death ball forward, no matter what the opponent is. So, no, they were they were fun. They were fun. But overall, I think the 
even having the games and the individual games, it's always fun to talk about it. Just the, the fact that we were able to game again in a tournament setting, mm-hmm. uh, so much fun. It's yeah. been a long time. The COVID freeze was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be originally. So being able to, I mean, even if, even if it was a smaller event than normal and with the, the guidelines that we had to follow, it was still fun to, to play for a day. Four mm-hmm. games in a day is always a good day. Yes. It was still 24 people. It was still a good size event. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, too, is obviously we mentioned it earlier, but the scoring system uh, being the older way of doing it. And I get it. Not everybody's following the match play guide. It's just a guide. It's not a, okay, you must follow this. Um, I was noticing that uh, they're doing another tournament in February, and that's scored the same way. So I'm interested to see if the East Coasters are always just doing the one to three is a minor victory, um, four or more is a major, or if they're planning on switching over, or maybe just the people who are running these events like that scoring system and they want to stick with it. Um, because uh, I wonder, I know Matt, it was affected Matt a couple of times. So um, I would, I'd be curious about that. Yeah, that's definitely definitely something that I like the new match play I, guide system. I do too, and um, I don't think it would have affected me much on this event, um, but I do like it overall um, a lot for the it, new tournament system. It makes a lot of armies, especially in my in my opinion, a lot of hero armies viable because you can go for those two nothing wins, and that becomes a major victory instead of a minor victory. Yeah, can, I think it opens up the range. Yeah, I agree. I think it opens up the range of variety of stuff that you'll see because now all of a sudden, like for instance, um, ne- the Necromancer. I mean, the Necromancer is really hard to play with. And uh, one of our guys locally pointed out because now all you need a two nothing. Well, most of the time the Necromancer can do score those two points for you and then prevent you from doing it. So now the Necromancer becomes even more viable than he was. And then, like you said, Marcus, all hero armies or different armies. I think it just opens it up a lot more. But I'd be curious to see if that's just typical. Like now nah, we like our old system of scoring, or if they just if they have a problem with the new one or what it is. Yeah, no, it's a good good call out, but. But I love the event. It was super fun. And like you said, um, even with the restrictions, it was really fun to go over to the bar, grab something to drink. I mean, it was great. Socialize, meet new people. Um, and I had a blast, an absolute blast. I thought it was great. Absolutely yeah, agreed. It was fun having all four brothers in one event too. Five. <laughs> five, really. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was the – I think that was the coolest part for me, getting to play with all y'all. So um, they're having another event in February. We can We can link the – the actual page details and one of our Instagram posts. Um, but that's going to be a bigger one day tournament, like a thousand points. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, thinking about, thinking about heading back out there and getting to roll some more dice. Um, it's addicting. Like it's been it so is. long since we played games and it's like, oh, I just want to keep playing now. I want to sign up yeah. for all the tournaments. I, I really want to play another tournament. I've, I've got the itch again. It's, it's really bad. Yeah. So, well, if I anyway. play the Army of the Dead, I got to finish painting my White Walkers. <laughs> so. There you go. There you go. So, all right, guys. Well, super fun recap. Any any final thoughts, closing thoughts before we log off here? I got nothing. Rangers of Athelians suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's becoming a common theme with a lot of people. Sounds like I need to buy some Rangers of Athelian. I would disown you. <laughs> I was just going to go build a thousand point Rangers of Athelian army. I do not know him. <laughs> uh, so, 